Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great great to be here, uh, socially and virtually distanced from you, but great to be here with you, Rob. Good to see you, Dr. Nacho, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Uh, we're recording this episode on April 22nd, 2020. This is the sixth social distancing episode that we've done, Paul. Uh, and unfortunately, I am fairly certain, not the last again. I know. Uh, once again, we're streaming this episode live via Nacho Zoom, Nacho Zoom CE on TV. Yeah, it's a real channel in here. It's a real channel, right? Yeah, I, I, I believe I think between, you know, somewhere on Spruce Street in Center City, Philadelphia, you know, there's like a, a whole network team there producing Nacho CE TV. I know. I like that. Uh, so uh, this is our fourth installment of the dental world post-COVID-19, in which dental industry thought leaders will be sharing their thoughts and insights into where they see the dental business world going post-COVID, things that dentists should be doing and thinking about to prepare themselves for what's to come. For folks who missed our earlier episodes, I'm going to run down the list because I'm pretty proud of ourselves. We've yeah, yeah, star-studded star, star list, I know. So it's out there, Dr. David Phelps, Al Star McDonald, Jamie Amos, Dr. Mark Costas, Jonathan Van Horn, Dr. Desiree Yazdan, Dr. Sonny Pahuja, Kirk Bernrett, uh, Colin Carr, Vivek Kinra, Tommy Newton, Jerry Jones, Thad Miller, and Alan Schiff. So before, be sure to check out those episodes if you haven't listened to them already. They're episodes 66, 67, and 68. Uh, they can be found in all the usual podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or at the great Dental Amigos website, nice. www thedentalamigos.com. Another crazy week, Paul, uh, in this country, and I think uh, maybe uh, some more to come. I think, you know, it's it's just an odd time. I'm getting weirdly used to this uh, Philadelphia ghost town, like the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Now I'm I'm used to it, and uh, it's just it's become the new normals become the strange new normal is sinking in. And, you know, we're looking I'm looking forward to what it means to take some steps back towards you know, the olden days of going to restaurants and coffee shops and, and things like that. I'm just that kind of anxiously awaiting what that's going to look like. Yeah, me too. I, you know, uh, I'll be happy to substitute real happy hours and dinner parties for uh, Zoom dinner parties yeah. and happy hours. I'm still happy to see my friends. However, yes. uh, there's no substitute for the real thing, I think, when it comes to this. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And, you know, I think you know, one of my uh, 
all-time uh, favorite quotes comes from the beginning of uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I think you've heard me say this before, Paul, and certainly my clients have. Uh, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. And, yeah, yeah, uh, I like that. I like here that. we are. Uh, I know. And I think things are only going to get more interesting from here. I mean, I think we're very much uh, a divided country right now. And in many ways, dentistry is a divided profession as to what you know, people are expecting and what their plans and expectations are uh, as far as what things are going to look like in the dental world when they open their offices back up in a meaningful way. For sure. I mean, we're just in this, we're still in a stage. I talk about the stages of circle of dentisting life and we're just in the stage of uncertainty. Uh, you know, first guest from the, uh, uh, in the ADA is a practicing dentist and is going to help us with that because you know, we're just this uncertainty is challenging to process for people who are used to a routine, used to solving problems. And, you know, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, absolutely. So today's guest, we're going to kick it off with uh, Dr. David White, who's a dental practice owner who currently serves as the vice chairman of the ADA Council on Government Affairs and chairman of the Nevada Dental Council on Government Affairs. And then we're going to talk to Gary Takis, Chad Wadinsky, uh, Dr. Nathan Ho, and wrap it up today with uh, Brian Hanks. So, uh, awesome. Starting with uh, Dr. David White, uh, he's a general dentist who graduated from the University of Michigan School of Dentistry, currently practices in Nevada. Uh, he owns uh, two general dentistry practices and is the past president of the Nevada Dental Association and currently serves as the vice chairman of the ADA Council on Government Affairs. He's also the chairman of the Nevada Council on Government Affairs. In addition, he holds uh, adjunct faculty positions at the University of Nevada, Reno, and University of Las Vegas School of Dental Medicine, where he works with pre-dental students and admissions. And so without further ado, uh, welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Hey, thank you, guys. I really do appreciate your time. After that star-studded cast, I feel very insignificantly, uh, I don't know if I belong here. <laughs> oh, 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 you do. You do. You're, you're a rising star topping, David. I, I, I just, just said I had a really awesome opportunity to have David interviewed on Nachos. I uh, just, I think it'd be super interesting, David, if you just share with us uh, what you do uh, in the dental space, especially the ADA, just to set us up for Rob's questions. Because I didn't even know people like you existed, but look, we got a pandemic and now I know. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and this has been, you know, a great time for all of us to come together. There, the, that's been the, the cohesive thought processes we've gone through here. So really what I do um, is I've been fortunate enough to have some doors open to me uh, through the American Dental Association in leadership and essentially uh, was appointed to the Council of Government Affairs um, through my District 14 which is seven states, and then got an opportunity to run for vice chair. And so essentially my council or the, the council that I serve on or have the privilege to serve on essentially is in charge of helping to create policy then that works to direct the lobby group, which represents all the dentists in the, in the country. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, what I'm really interested in talking about today, uh, you know, is really what are, what is the ADA doing now, you know, to, to help and support dentists and, and really, and then I want to talk about what dentists can do uh, to try to uh, impact and affect the outcome of yeah. some of the government intervention with, with the profession. I mean, certainly there are people out there that have been critical in some respects of the ADA. I think uh, sometimes I might be one of them who's asking <laughs> some of the questions. So, uh, you know, maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not. I haven't been too bad, David, I will say, but and, just challenging everybody in this world right now to, to think and, and be creative. But, you know, if you can, you know, talk to us about what the ADA is doing 
for dentistry and for the return of dentistry post-COVID? Because obviously it's a crucial topic for, for all of our listeners. Sure, sure, sure. So, so what I think it, it, we've all experienced, whether when you're trying to help as many people as possible, you can't make everybody happy. And, and I know that you guys have experienced that in, 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 on everything that you've done. You thought there was a great segment, but then maybe it wasn't, you know, taken by everybody in a perfect way. So, so that I'm just going to lead off with that. So, you know, right now, the American Dental Association, what I think that they've done the best job of doing is really speaking for everybody. And it's really the modality of practice that essentially comes down to that we're dentists and that only through this crisis can we go ahead and, and help each other. As we moved away from now a overarching entity such as American Dental Association providing immense amount of guidance or recommendations early on, what I feel is they've done an amazing job of kicking it back to states. Because as we've known, this has been a very political animal from the very beginning. And many of us that didn't play in this space have now learned that. And that if you didn't know about the political game or the savviness or who was in charge of going ahead and shutting you down essentially in dentistry, was it your governor? Was it your health and human services? Was it your state board of dental examiners, which were ultimately the folks that kind of restricted you down? Then you started to learn where you really stood within that state. Is it a Republican state? Is it a Democrat state? How does your, your state association work with your governor or just dentistry as a whole being seen by the public in your state? So that's where I think the American Dental Association has done the most amazing job of pushing it back to the states, saying, folks, we went ahead and made some recommendations early. Now it's back on you. And I will tell you, just so that I can speak about what my world looks like now, last night, my governor went ahead and didn't give us any guidance whatsoever or any hints that we, were, we thought we were going back April 30th. And in the surprise of everybody else last night at five o'clock, we learned we were not. So my, my entire day was dedicated today was trying to hire or at least go ahead and, and, and interview as many lobbyists that I potentially could because there's going to be a deputy of economic development that hinges his, his opinion working with the dental associations or not even the dental associations where the dental industry will go ahead and decide the fate of that. So when we think about what can folks do now? Now that you've gone ahead and your state may have gone ahead and wrote, rolled out a phased plan, right? Or maybe they haven't. It's really about how can you participate in the political process? So I would first say reach out to your dental association because usually they've got the lobbying organized, they're, they're organized better than any other entity within your state. So it's can you offer some suggestions? Can you offer help? Can you meet with some legislators? Is a Zoom call, is things gonna go in there? The most important thing is for those legislators, those governors, and also the state departments to understand that we are going ahead and trying to get back to normal as safely as humanly possible for ourselves, our patients, and for our staff so that we can resume sort of, um, some sort of normalcy as much as possible. States like Texas, ready to go. States like mine, not ready to go. And David, that's just the just, we're I really agree. insight. just because I'm unaware, you're trying to hire a lobbyist for the ADA, for your state. What does that for mean? For my state. So really, folks, that's what, that's a great question. So we have lobbying at the federal level, which has done really well to get us as much of a seat at the table. And, and we've learned that, again, through the sausage making, that, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. We also saw something that takes years to happen, they accomplished in days. And guess what? It didn't go ahead and end up like the way we thought it would, just like the idle grants. 
right? It was sold to us $10,000 allotments, but then we earned, learned in the middle of the night that it was going to be because of staff members. So for me, now it's back to the state. So I'm trying to go ahead and interview as much, many uh, lobbyists that I can to help represent our Nevada Dental Association and work on messaging, work on representation so that we can go ahead and put our best fo foot forward and that I can present that to my board, the Nevada Dental Association, so they can make a decision who they want to hire in a short term and long term because then we have a regulatory process which may be PPE driven. Might we have some things early? Might we have some things late? So it's a really complicated game as we start to work through the minutia right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And Mike, and, and, and obviously we are all kind of getting a civics lesson uh, <laughs> through this whole process in a lot of different ways. You know, and obviously at the national level, when we talk about federal bailout money and you know PPP and whether that's adequate for dentists or it's really something that's consistent with the reality that dentists are facing, that's another, another topic for another podcast, David. But at the state level, you know, obviously states do... Uh, do govern their own dentist. You know, dentistry is, is licensed through the states. There's not a, a national state board of dentistry. It's all done at the state level with the governor obviously being the executive. What concerns me though, when I hear that, you know, and understandably it's gotta be kicked back to the state, which the states. What concerns me though, David, is, you know, are all the states, you know, fully, you know, equipped, when I say the states, the state dental associations to deal with this. You know, we're talking about, you know, I even know from my business and my clients' business businesses, what we're doing to kind of repurpose ourselves and and sort of transition and, and, and evolve as to what services we're providing, literally in my office, on a weekly basis. You know, some weeks we're talking about restructuring leases. Some weeks we're talking about, you know, whether or not to lay people off you know, take your pick now, you know, or are we talking about refinancing loans, whatever the case may be. But when we start talking about state dental associations that have gone from being, you know, sort of a, a more tacit, you know, sort of friendly, like, hey, we're here to help. And it's a more community thing to becoming what are really necessarily political, you know, organizations, or they need to be, are they set up for it. And I'm going to suspect just like everything else that we're finding out in the COVID, it varies from place to place. Certainly. Certainly. And that's, I think that more than anything, what the American Dental Association was able to do was recognize different strengths in the different states and bring folks together. So it was through the collaboration because what we don't want to do is as we start to reopen the states, I need to know everybody that's opening all the messaging that they're doing and what sort of strategy they're doing. So I can know that in my state, I can do this specific way as well. So to your point, was every state equipped exactly the same? Absolutely not. We've got state budgets that are different, different disparities with the number of staff that we carry, in-house lobbyists, contract lobbyists. I mean, we've got these huge disparity of things, but it was through the collaborative effort. And that's what I think I, I feel so appreciative to be in these spaces. And, and represent, you know, um, a, a new dentist, if you will, um, in this space. But it's been the collaboration, coming together, again, modalities, corporations, associations, independent dentists, you know, uh, you know, public health. It's just been everybody coming together to say, I'm a dentist. How can you help me? I mean, at its time, I was worried about 1099s because, you know, those were the folks that seemed to be left on the fringes of what are we going to do for them? And I just constantly use the old adage like my customer. If I'm thinking like my customer, what do they want to know? And then it was my job to message to them before they even thought about that thought in their brain, whether it was through a text message, whether it was a podcast or possibly even through a video. 
For your for your state, David, I know our listeners and our audience like to know, you know, Texas is going to be open, which I think the right word is less closed. Open is just not the right word. I mean, right. less closed is a better word to me because it's not like, oh, now it's back to March 1st, 2020. Uh, we've talked about that. What makes your state not ready, their state ready? What are some factors that states are looking at? Because I'm just totally curious. Yeah, no, that I could. that is a million dollar question. I can tell you that right now. I know that we have politics, political politics that do play into it. So essentially, have we seen a little bit of a trend from some of the red states tend to maybe want to open less or, you know, less closed? (laughs) May they want to reopen a little bit more quickly with looser provisions? The answer is probably overwhelmingly yes. You know, let's just be honest. Are we starting to see states that are purple or really, really blue like myself maybe want to stay a little bit more on the closed side and be a little bit more um, less less aggressive, I guess is the best way to say it. And so, yes. So when we really go ahead and look at this from a, from a big stand, if we look at the map, could it be directly related to who the governors are aspirational governor? You know, what are they trying to do aspirationally? Um, And then of course you have the metrics, which is the most important thing. What are their state medical directors or their COVID special task forces recommending to these, to these governors? So perfect examples. We have not had as many cases in my state. We have not have the big influx of things that we thought we were. But again, our state has just, our, our direct, our direct state medical director and obviously our governor have made the decisions to keep us more closed with not even a date to start to move into phase one. Now that's got great anxiety for the members. Um, I'm not even saying members, I'm just going to say dentists within our state. And so it's my job to get as, uh, to try to get as, uh, as many seats at the table for my board and for my Nevada Dental Association so that they can represent us in the best way possible. Rob stacks this up, uh, David, where there's only one dentist and the rest Rob people. So you're my only dental person. So I'll hog a few questions because we have a question from our audience. You know, this is a good one. Okay, we're less closed. Now what? So it says Indiana is going to be open on April 27th and they can go back to routine procedures. But now we have aerosols and social distancing. Who's in charge of telling me to a practice owner, you can only have this many people. People have to wait in their car. I have a good thing. What if, what if people don't have a car? What if you're in a city? All those detail-oriented things, where do they come into play? What organization? The, public, the health department, the ADA, the CDC, or a combination? Well, I think we would always want to start with CDC. CDC is going to be the most important thing. And then we would hope that we would receive some guidance either from your health and human services within your state and from your state board of dental examiners. And that might be on what practices are going to be acceptable and if they're going to give you any guidance with your PPE. So then that's going to be your framework to go ahead and roll out that. And you hopefully have discussed that with your team. That's going to be the most important. Here are the provisions that we know for sure are associated with our state. Then you have to make what I, my next step is I go to my team. How does everybody feel? You know what? You don't, it's a minimum thing is, you know, a level three, but you guys want 95. Okay. You know what? That's where we're going to set our standard because we as a whole have to feel comfortable. And this is a challenge. This is going to, this is going to test your leadership because if the team is not on board, I'm going to say this, you're not ready to go back to work. You're not. That's great content, but what are these, are all these PPs, are they available to buy? Can you provide them for your team? If, if I want a lob wedge to go play golf with Rob and then we, I go to the store and they're out of lob wedges, well, I got no lob wedge. So right. where does that, I mean, if we're just focusing, 
Yeah, yeah. But if we're focusing on PP, where does that come into play? The availability of it and this nacho nuts thing where, okay, N95 masks, well, people on the front line don't have them. I know you don't, I'm not asking you to give all the answers. I'm just, you're just helping us so much. Let's say you're having that conversation with your team ready for May 15th. Can, it, are, are these PPE products available to be purchased at a large scale? And so the, the, we all know, no, we know that we're, we're in a crisis situation. So if everything had to be off the checklist of perfection, would we all be ready to go to work? No. The, the, the simple answer to that is no. So when we think about this, we know at the federal level, they're going to go in and be lobbying for PPE. So that's an important issue. So we should feel very comfortable about that. But again, uh, it, we, there's not going to be a perfect PPE for everybody. Again, I hope everybody has at least got with their dental supply company and at least gotten the queue so we know that things might be trickling in. Might it affect the actual amount of aerosol producing procedures that may then go and say, we don't have the appropriate PPE for or that. Um, might you be going ahead and saying, I'm going to have an assistant. I'm only going to, it's going to change the style that you, or the number of patients that you see. It, this is such a complicated situation because yes, the solution is, is one aspect of it. But the, but the problem is, is that I don't even have all of the keys to solve the problem. And so as we move forward, this is something where, again, might it be that you are quote unquote ready to open, but because your staff has made a conscious decision internally that we don't have the PPE. And so we're, we're not going to open that way. Now I'm going to immediately go ahead and get a lot of, of feedback and say, well, what are you talking about? You're the dentist. You need to go ahead and set the stage. That's true to an extent. But again, folks, we run a dental team. And so again, I'm not saying that we have to go ahead and listen to everybody. If we got an outlier, we got an outlier. And that is what it is. But as a dental dentist and a leader, entrepreneur, and essentially the CEO of this, this organization, you've got to listen to everybody and also educate them because we know that there's so much information out there. Every vendor's trying to go ahead and hawk a product to go ahead and be like the saver for this. It's really about educating, leading, and then bringing the team together so that not only they feel comfortable, then that, that the more comfortable environment they provide, the patients are going to feel comfortable as well. It's a great point. Now, as the non-dentist here, Paul and David, uh, you know, so we have two questions are kind of out there. And so the rest of that Indiana question, and we have another one in, in the chat, you know, which is, you know, concerns Pennsylvania. But what we're seeing sometimes are these sort of ambiguous directives from the states, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. I mean, once you, you start let the government, you know, tell you how to practice your profession, they're not going to get it quite right, almost universally, right, which is why it's so important to have dentists, uh, uh, you know, at the table as part of the process and lobbying. And so everybody knows, you know, we'll, when we wrap up with David here in a couple of minutes, we're going to ask them exactly what they need to do and when they should do it. But, you know, I think you know, things like in Indiana, where the directive is try to minimize aerosols. I mean, that, that's a very vague sort of <laughs> suggestion. And, you know, I think it kind of puts uh, Can you jump in the pool and try not to get too wet? Go ahead, dentist. I mean, Try it. Like an impossible thing. And then in Pennsylvania, it was like, okay, you know, you can only do non, uh, uh, do emergency procedures and it needs to be in a negative pressure room. And that was the, uh, the department of health. And I was like, wow, that's not possible. You know? So I guess what, what do you say to, you know, our dental people out there who are getting these, these directives from the States that, you know, these are governmental directives that from a clinical standpoint, just may not make any sense whatsoever. Talking about minimizing aerosols or 
only practicing in a negative pressure room. And, and thankfully, the Pennsylvania thing, that went away. But I, I don't think that that'll be the last time that a state in this whole crisis comes up with something that's just like crazy, you know? So what do you say to everybody? Like, how do you manage that stuff when you just don't know and it's not clear what, what you're being told you can and can't do? I personally appreciate the where Pennsylvania went with that negative pressure room because it was a tr- and, and and then obviously backing off of it because it was again it showed emotion it showed emotion from lay people who wanted to go and quickly get out of some you know in front of something and then you have unintended consequences great unintended consequences that needed to be basically brought back now what's interesting about that is that's the key right just because you put something out doesn't mean that it's not flexible that it can't be brought in brought back in and that was really good for for the dentist to be able to see and that means that essentially do we really know do we really know just because something's thrown out there doesn't mean that that's going to be gospel and so again when we go back to 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 the vaguety of, of the vagueness of the recommendations whether it's been you know across the states now and the the true purpose of that um, i would like to believe is they believe in the practitioners to make the best decisions of course everybody we're black and white we want things to be hey here the line is right here but we are going ahead and hoping that the practitioner will make the best decision for himself. But again, we've got, we've got Louisiana that feels one way. We've got Indiana that feels another way. We've got Texas that feels another way. And so again, you're not going to be able to go ahead and work on that. What would I say to if I was someone that was very much off the, off the grid and didn't know, I'd contact my local society and say, where, what, I need more further clarification on these guidances. Can you please direct me to either someone in your leadership or you feel that might be able to give a better recommendation? Because I do a lot of offline um, recommending to folks. And I think that that has been very helpful because that personal conversation, because it may not just be PP, it may be, hey, I've got this staff member. Well, then we got a different issue there. So looking for a black and white answer, it's not going to happen globally. I would say contract your local society society, um, you know, there might be something that they would feel comfortable coming out and, and making a statement on as well. And not only that, request it. If you feel comfortable, there's a segment of, group of folks, that dentists that say, I want to this, put it forth as a question or a request to your dental association or your society. Please help us out. Will you get further guidance in this particular area? Guys, folks, this is, this is the world of, of feedback. You know, if you don't ask, then maybe you're not going to be able to give that information or be given that information. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up here, Dave. I could actually talk to you for about two more hours. <laughs> Let's do it sometime. <laughs> so if you can, again, so what I'm hearing is, you know, don't expect, you know, clear black and white directives necessarily. Be a professional. Understand that you are the professional and you have to make the call ultimately. Nobody's going to tell you exactly and make that decision for you, unfortunately. I think everybody would like to have that decision made for them because it's a scary one. Uh, talk to your team and see what they're comfortable with. And then, you know, what I think is really important, reach out to your state dental association, find out what you need to be doing. And I think that's going to be something along the lines of writing to, to Congress people, to writing to senators, uh, writing to governors, and, and really taking the time to be, you know, to, to do what is a grassroots campaign. And, and I will say, folks, you know, no offense to Facebook groups, you know, because I have a friend that runs a really big one, uh, that, you know, you know, really, you need to reach out beyond the dental sphere with your complaints with this. You need to educate the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the patients, the, the, the government, the regulators, all these people don't know your profession like you know it. 
And you just have to do it. Otherwise, you're not going to like possibly the outcome that you get. Yeah, really great stuff, David. I just want to say one thing as the this is that I appreciate you sharing and all this, but I'm an owner of two practices. And when we talk about team, I don't know how to keep my team safe. And I haven't learned anything in the past 30 days of substance to keep that team safe. So I think we need a lot more work for practice owners and coaches to say, this is what you need to do to keep your team safe because you have team members and how do they socially distance in an office? What do you do when someone has a fever? What do you do when someone has a positive test? And I still feel like dentists are totally left hanging out to dry. And there's a lot of terms like decide with your team and I'm the coach of the team and I don't have data to decide what to do. So maybe that means not opening. I saw a hairdresser last night on the news say, I can open up my salon in Georgia I can't pay my rent for my house. I can't, I can't pay my rent from, I can't pay my mortgage or my rent uh, for my hair salon. I'm not opening yet because I don't know what to do for my team. And I feel I'm in, in a, a similar situation. So as we dig into this, I'm looking forward to learning, but I'm also looking for more than generalities for specific safety mechanisms for my team and my patients. And, and I think you do a great job. You just don't stay quiet. Keep asking, keep requesting because it's feedback, feedback, feedback. And I can't tell you, I appreciate that every time, every time I'm pushed. So I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Appreciate hey, it. David, uh, thanks for, uh, for taking the time. How can people uh, get in touch with you uh, if they have questions? Yeah, the, probably the easiest way is going to be right now is through Facebook, um, you know, David White, DDS, um, you know, and I think that's probably the easiest way or you can go ahead and reach me through my email, which is David M. White, DDS at yahoo.com. But uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to go ahead and shed some light on a very difficult topic and also get some tremendous feedback from you guys. So thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, interesting, Paul. You know that one's been out there for me for a while, so it's it's great to hear uh, what David's thoughts are yeah. and, and some suggestions. And I think you know, as people as time goes by, you know, you're asking lots of great questions. You have to keep asking those questions. Yeah. And so do you know everybody that's listening to this podcast, people on the Facebook group. You know, there there are a lot of people that that need to to know that this is not clear, and that when you lay out guidance that says, and I'm going to put guidance in quotes, that, you know, try to minimize aerosol. Right. That really solve many problems for, uh, for a dentist. And, uh, but the key is, you know, go back to those groups. You have to go to your state dental association and say, look, who do I need to talk to? And who do I need to be sending emails, yeah. letters, and making phone calls? You know, it's like old school Brady Bunch, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Do the campaign. Otherwise, you know, just let the government tell you what, what, how you're going to run your business. And I can tell you that's never going to be uh, a good thing as we're all, as we're all experiencing now. So uh, next up uh, we have a, uh, a second time uh, amigo, uh, Gary Takis who's back on the show. Uh, Gary Takis's passion is helping dentists to develop their ideal practice, specializing in the business of dentistry, his unique in-depth knowledge of components of a successful practice have helped thousands of dental offices thrive in today's challenging business environment. And that was a challenge before. So we're gonna to talk to Gary about challenges after COVID. And uh, everyone, uh, in case people don't know who Gary is, which I find it hard to believe, but I'll keep going. Seminars are highly acclaimed audio and videotape programs he does. Uh, In-office consulting services have helped many dentists develop a more profitable and enjoyable practice. Uh, he's a familiar presence on the dental lecture circuit. He frequently addresses dentists and team members at national dental meetings, regional sem seminars, and study club meetings around the U.S. and the world. And although he's not a dentist, he owns a dental practice in partnership with Dr. Paul Nielsen. And his practice is called Life Smiles Dental Care. 
And this practice serves as a learning and teaching laboratory for Gary to test these dental business concepts that he can apply in his teaching. And uh, without further ado, welcome back, Amigo. Hey, hola, amigos. Hey, Gary. <laughs> hey, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for <clears throat> the invitation to join the Facebook Live and podcast. Yeah. And I love the work that you're all doing. Um, Thanks, Gary. David, David had some great questions and some great insight. And uh, I, w I wish I could tell you I knew exactly in my crystal ball, you know, what, what the media future is. And unfortunately, uh, I don't. Um, however, um, I think if we keep asking the right questions, it's going to be helpful for sure. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, for sure. I mean, I, if, if, if anybody had a crystal ball, I, I wish they would have told us this was coming, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think that was the time for the crystal ball. Uh, where we go from here is, is sort of a, a fascinating thing. I try to tell myself it's fascinating because it makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah right. Sure, like, it's like a fun game, but man, oh, man, <laughs> scary. Yeah. Um, so Gary, you know, things that are, you know, changing, I think, you know, most of our guests uh, have, have universally agreed that the dental world is going to look different post-COVID than, than it did before. Uh, and I think in crises, we've all sort of acknowledged and heard and, and observed that trends get amplified. So things that were kind of starting to happen, uh, we may see happening a lot faster now and going a lot deeper and a lot more painful in some respects. Uh, and one of those things, you know, is really dental uh, insurance and PPOs. And I know that that's something that, uh, that you feel, uh, feel is important. And so talk to us and our, our listeners, you know, what kind of things do you see changing and what should people be thinking about post-COVID when it comes to dental insurance? Yeah, you know, Rob and Paul, thank you. Um, thanks for the opportunity to for me to share some of my thoughts on this. And I have kind of an interesting seat uh, at the table when it comes to this COVID-19 crisis. You know, um, in my coaching work, uh, we have clients in 42 states. Um, so all over the country. And what's interesting is I'm coaching and, and helping clients navigate, <clears throat> you know, this crisis. And it is very much a, a crisis. Um, I, the the seat that I have at the table is kind of interesting because on one side, I am noticing some clients that are, uh, frankly, not being overly adversely affected by this. Now, that's not to say, you know, first of all, you know, being shut down and, and, and dealing with all this is not good for any of us, you know, in terms of uh, and the and the pandemic, you know, it's it came out of left field. It's, it's not good for any of us. So I wish I could, uh, you know, sprinkle the fairy dust over um, over our profession. And that's and, why we uh, brought you on today, Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot, I didn't I didn't bring that. Um, so it's not good. But but as I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to look at things objectively, I've got some clients that, um, frankly, it's um, you know it's not good. But uh, they're navigating it pretty well. Uh, and on the other hand, on the other side. Um, I have clients that it's nothing, it's nothing less than a full-blown crisis, you know, um, and, and there's a spectrum in between, you know. Uh, what are the characteristics, Gary, just because I'm interested in the ones handling it well. You know, I know you're a runner, so if it was like, you know, if they could, if they could the seven-minute milers, which I know, you know, for a recreational runner, that's good, right? What, what makes them handle it well? Because I find that interesting. I think the audience might know. See, if you're well, thinking of that person, what, what, what are the characteristics of that practice handling it well? 
when I say it, when I identify these characteristics, it'll sound obvious, but um, let me tell you what, what puts them in that category. Um, they have higher profit, they had higher profitability going into this. And as a result of the higher profitability, they have lower debt. Uh, they, uh, if they were fiscally conservative, they put together an emergency fund personally and professionally. So, so they have, you know, um, reserve, reserve in their practice bank account, reserve in their personal bank account. They've got lower debt. And as a result of, of all those things, it's like, no, this isn't good, but, but I'm going to weather this. I, I had plans for a rainy day and I didn't know that this would be the cause of it, but I was prepared for it. And so you look at what's, and then on the other hand, what the ones that are in crisis, full-blown crisis mode, I mean, they're, they're scrambling around trying to, you know, jump through every hoop, the EILD, the PPP, do I take it? Do I not take it? Do I roll the dice? Are we going to be open in time? Can I put my payroll? My, I mean, they're trying to scramble for every nickel they can of, of aid and support, not knowing what the future is. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, I'm, I'm just saying they're, de they're dependent on it. Um, and they're looking at that and, and saying, I hope I get this crumb, you know, so I can, I can survive this. Um, and the difference is the ones that are in crisis, low profitability, as a result of low profitability, have higher debt, um, have less of a reserve account in the practice account as well as in their personal account. And as a result, they weren't as well prepared. And what's the biggest difference there? The biggest difference is, uh, their PPO participation. Um, when you're giving away 38 to 40% of your fee to uh, insurance companies, it's very difficult to run a profitable practice. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to talk about what that looks like going forward. Does that make sense, you know, going, going forward? I mean, think of when you look at, uh, if we can look at this objectively and step back, it's hard to do this, but let's step back. And when you look at your usual fee and your contracted fee, the difference, of course, is called an insurance adjustment. When we had 34, when we bought our practice in May of 07, unbeknownst to us, it was infected with 34 PPO plans. 34. Good word for this time, infected. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, yeah, it was infected. Um, and uh, I asked the office manager, we, we were there about two weeks and getting to know everyone and trying to figure out where the stapler was and, you know, <laughs> where the perio probes were. And, uh, Asked the office manager, how many plans are around? And she said, I'm not sure exactly, but I think maybe a dozen or so. Well, when I dove into it, I found out it was actually 34. And, and she wasn't ignorant. It was a matter of oftentimes when you're a participant with one, it ropes you into four or five others. So it was 34. Our average discount was 38%. I want you to start thinking about that as a marketing expense because you're paying the insurance company to provide you patients. That's exactly what it is. You're paying the insurance company. Does it make sense to pay 38% of your revenue as a marketing expense? I mean, when I looked at that objectively, I said, holy cow, um, our uh, fourth month of ownership, uh, we had $30,000 worth of adjustment, insurance adjustments that month, 30,000. And I looked at this and said, holy cow, if I extrapolate that to an annual fee, if that happened every month, I'd be spending, and I'm using spending in air quotes, I'd be spending uh, $360,000 on marketing. I took one look at this and said, I could spend a fraction of that and get a much better result. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we fast forward to 2019, uh, we spent uh, less than 2% of our revenue on marketing. I mean, Paul, um, I, I know you to be a, a fairly intelligent guy. Thanks. Appreciate it. Rob and I debate it, but we've, we've come if, up if with- If you were here, I would share one of these mini <laughs> bottles of tequila with you, but I'll just have to have it myself. 
Can I can I put you on the spot though? Sure. I like the big one behind you. You can call yeah, a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah, you, you can call a friend. You got two of them on on the, the video cast here. So you can call a friend if you want, but take as long as you like. Rob, would you rather spend 38% of your revenue on marketing or 2%? Take, take as long as you like. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it's crazy. I mean, you I'm this, go with two. we talked about this last time you are on the podcast. When you think about it in those terms, it's so obvious, right? But very few people do, you know? But now, now, now here's the... I mean, this sounds obvious again, but when I experienced it myself, it made it, 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 it like punctuated it. When you bring people into your practice who don't have insurance, and by the way, that universe is growing. And I would, yeah. I don't have a crystal ball. I, I, I have a cue ball. <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but my universe says that my crystal ball says that in the future, post COVID-19, there'll be less companies buying dental insurance. Less. I think that the number of patients insured under dental insurance goes down. And I think it goes down precipitously. Well, I think Gary, of, what you're saying is, is ever, I mean, whether it's Mark Costas has been on the podcast, you people say, make your office lean, cut out expenses you don't need. So other companies do the same thing. And they might say, well, no more dental. You know, maybe it's, a, I mean, dental's probably, what's to me very silly about dental insurance in general is at best it's a coupon, it's worst, it's a scam. It's really not anything exciting on any level other than an annoyance to the practitioner, but the patients are infected by the mentality too. So I do think it's, I do agree with you. I think it's interesting. I just don't know, Gary, if you took a hundred people in a room who had spoiled guac PPO and now their team said, now their boss said no more dental insurance. I just don't know which ones walk through the door of still going to the dentist and which stop going to the dentist. That's just my question. So when, when we went, out of network, we discovered that one of the real benefits was that um, we started, we, we, we quit getting two questions. When you don't have insurance, the patient doesn't call and say, are you in my network? Yeah. Right? Because that's an, that's an irrelevant question. I mean, if, if, if I go to a Mexican restaurant, I don't ask them, um, you know, can you show me your Chinese food menu? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so when yeah. people have insurance, they don't ask you uh, about whether you're a network. And, and the second question they don't ask, and I'll, I'll ask this to you, Paul, as the dentist, as a, the resident dentist among the three of us, um, they also don't ask you when you present treatment recommendations to them, they don't ask you, does my insurance cover it? Because they don't have it. Now they might ask, like, let's say it's a missing second molar. The patient might say, Dr. Goodman, you know, that tooth is, you, you, the missing tooth, you can't even see it why should I have this done? I think you'd agree that you'd rather get that question than does yeah. my cover. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, your, your points on this, and I think it's a pro, pro, so important as we go through this is, you know, why don't we just operate like literally every other business out there where people just pay for a service and decide if they, what they want, small, medium, and large, basic, advanced or not. And I mean, it's just what dentists have been thinking about doing for a long time. And that's why it's interesting. I mean, you own a practice, Gary. You consult with people how to get out of PPOs. I have a question. What are all the PPO insurances doing right now? Laughing that they get to keep all these premiums? Well, uh, do you think the executives of Delta are, and I'll, did I say that or was I just thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you think the executives it. of Delta are having emergency meetings with their team talking about, well, you know what, Dr. Goodman and, and every other dentist in the United States is likely going to be spending more money on PPE moving forward. It's pretty clear. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's pretty likely that you're going to spend more on PPE than you did pre-COVID. So you know what? 
we need to sit down. I'm, I'm now playing the role of, uh, you know, the, the Delta executives. We this need is a to fictional conversation. Right? Yeah, fictional. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fictional. It's complete fiction. Yeah. We need to figure out how to pay Dr. Goodman more. Do you think they're having those conversations in any way, shape, or form now? No. And by the way, when companies come to them, I mean, who is the client of the insurance company? Is it Dr. Goodman? No, it's, a, it's the people who buy their insurance for their and customers. And that is? It's you the, know, the, the HR department of the companies, yeah. And as they're finding, you know, their economics challenged by COVID-19, they're going to go to Delta and say, I want to pay less. If, if we're going to stay with you as a client, we want to pay less for our premiums. So design a, a plan that, that results in us paying lower premiums and, and get, that trickles down into everything, which means that you'll get lower reimbursement as a provider in that. But let me, let me address the, the 5,000 pound pink elephant in the room. Um, may I do that? Sure. And that is, is now the time to go out of network with PPOs? And, and the answer is no, absolutely yeah. not. Uh, and by the day, I mean, you know, I'm just going to pick a, a date, May 1st. Is May 1st the time to send your resignation letters off to however many people? No, no. That would be tone deaf. Uh, Paul, you know I enjoy music, yeah. um, but the only instrument I can play is my radio. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, I'm tone deaf. Uh, but you don't want to be tone deaf in, in this uh, uh, climate, in this environment. So the answer is no, now is not the right time. But Here's, here's something that I want you to think about. I think the three of us would agree that on multiple times a day, we say to ourselves, I can't wait till things get back to normal. I can't wait till things. I mean, would you agree? I mean, yeah, yeah. Some way. I, mean I can't wait. And, but if normal to you as a dentist was that you worked your tail off yeah. for too little, that, you know, you're, you're, you've got poor work-life balance. I mean, Dentists for years have been saying they have a, a, a poor work-life balance. Well, we just solved it. You work like a mule in January and February and take March and April off. There's your, yeah. there's your work-life balance. Okay, I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, the, the reality is if normal was that you work too hard for too little. You know, the ADA said the average practice overhead in uh, 2018, which is the most recent year we have information, was 74%. And so if your overhead is 74% or in that range, you're working too hard for too little. You deserve better than that. So if you're working too hard for too little, um, you uh, find yourself with poor work-life balance. You're tired of banging your head against the wall about people that only want things done if it's covered by insurance. Then I question whether indeed you want things to go back to normal. What if we use this time to look ahead and make the right moves so that at some point when it's the right time, you can begin to craft a more ideal future for you. And I'm going to use the term less insurance dependence, not fee for service. And that's a difference. Yeah. Now, if your vision is to go completely fee for service, then far be it for me to, to step in your way by me, go for it. And it, and it can make sense in in your practice, but it doesn't make sense for all. But I think you would agree, uh, Rob and, and Paul, that uh, maybe it's a practice that has a dozen PPO plans and they get it down to one or two. That practice is going to be stronger as a result of that. So the, the 5,000 pound pick elf in the room is, is it now, now, as in April 22nd, is not the time to uh, say adios <laughs> to uh, the PPO plans. But there's never been a better time to put all the steps in place to be able to successfully do it when the time is right. Does that make sense? Did I, did I address that 
and, and and I think it's good insight because also as a practice owner like you, we've had plenty of disruption in our business model by dentistry being grounded like me as a teenager. So it probably you just cannot disrupt it more in your reopening than now saying now we don't take your spoiled guac PPO. It's just going to be a it's just not going to be a relationship builder at this time, but it's a good time, like you said, to be, as Rob would say, aware and purposeful about how you want your office to look moving forward. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, you can, you can take those steps, uh, you know, baby step by baby step. And, uh, you know, checklist, there's a checklist of things, readiness to successfully go out of network. You know, when we went out of network, we retained 84% of our patients that were in yeah, network. Look, I got my book, Checklist Manifesto. It's on there me all the go. time. Checklist I love, Manifesto. Yeah, I, love uh, I, uh, I could hold mine up too. Yeah, um, yeah. But we did this, by the way, and there's an interesting correlation to now. We went out of network. We bought the practice in May of 07. We started going out of network in August of 07. And the first year went really well. From August of 07 to August of 08 went really well. We successfully resigned from 17 plants. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, what's now called the Great Recession, uh, that's the label given to the 07, 08, you know, recession. It's called the Great Recession. That hit us like a ton of bricks uh, in September of 08. And we were halfway through it. And if I can explain the uh, carnage that happened from that, we're, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. Prior to the Great Recession, there were 1,800 general dentists in my county, in, in a county of um, uh, large county geographically and population-wise, Maricopa County. Um, there were uh, 1,800 general dentists. After the recession, we know that 400 of them failed. Right. One out of every, there were 1,400. So one out of every 4.5 practices failed. Uh, we experienced that. And, you know, when, when Paul and I, uh, uh, Paul Nielsen, when Dr. Nielsen yeah. and I were going through this, um, it literally hit like a light switch. Things were going really, really well. He w- we were a solo dentist. He was booked out um, six weeks in advance. Hygiene was booked out six months. We'd, we'd work people in to accommodate him. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the light switch got flipped. And uh, Paul is open tomorrow afternoon. And hygiene looks like Swiss cheese. And we were terrified. We were terrified. Paul and I called an emergency meeting between us. Said, what do we do? And I uh, said, I don't know, Paul, I've been through some soft economic times. And I started in 1980. So I've been through a number of recessions and economic slumps, but nothing like this. And I said, let's step back and look at this. How has it gone so far with the 17 plants? He said, really well. I'm amazed how many people, you know, we're, we're at 84% retention. Um, and we're bringing in new people, you know, and things were going really well. And, I, and my undergraduate degrees in history, and I happen to enjoy everything related to history. And I don't know why I remembered this, but I happen to remember a rather famous Winston Churchill quote. And I said, Paul, um, Winston Churchill was famous for saying this during World War II, uh, during the Battle of Britain, when they were trying to save uh, the United Kingdom from a bombardment. And uh, Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, just keep going. And I said, what I mean by that, Paul, is let's just keep going. It's working pretty well. If it doesn't work, we can always go back and, and sign up for the plans. And he asked me a rhetorical question because he knew the answer. To he said, we can do that, right? We can do that, right? I said, yeah, of course we can. And that's what we did. We just kept going. Yeah. And strategically, it turned out to be the best decision we could have ever made. We were terrified doing it, yeah. but it turned out to be the best decision that we could have ever made. And I wonder how much of that applies to today. 
It's a good you know, point. But it's interesting, Gary. I mean, to me, what I'm hearing, and we're having this conversation with clients in a couple of different contexts, that this really is a fresh start in a lot of in a lot of ways. So, yeah. from a patient expectation standpoint, uh, a staff expectation expectation standpoint, everything, everything in the world, all bets are off. You know, and and I've had the conversation with clients talking about from an HR standpoint, without getting into the details of, you've got the cover to do and make changes. Like this yeah. is this is the time to do it. Nobody's looking at you saying, "Oh, you cut this or you change that." Like, in fact, everybody has an expectation now. Patients, employees, the world that things are going to change. So you know, don't let them down. Right? You are yeah. so right. You're so spot on with that, Rob. And and you know, furthermore. And I'm going to share a perspective here that is both disturbing, but I hope insightful. One thing COVID-19 is, is uh, shining a light on, and I don't think it's a particularly favorable light, is our current healthcare system. And by the way, no disrespect to any of our uh, uh, physicians and nurses and, you know, frontline healthcare uh, uh, providers. No disrespect. But it's shining a light on our healthcare system. And the light that we're seeing through the media, you know, is, uh, you know, zombie apocalypse scenes of hospitals where, where people just wandering around. We're seeing, you know, beds in hallways. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, tent hospitals with patients on cots. It, it shed, it, it's shedding a light on our healthcare system. And frankly, it's not a very favorable light. And again, no disrespect to any of our, our provide. They, they're heroes in all of this. Um, but I think I see a future where more people uh, in, in, in the population are going to be interested in going to a dental office where they're taken care of by a dentist who they know, a dentist and team who they know, like, and trust. And I believe there's going to be more interest in that than, than less. Uh, because, you know, we don't want to just go to an office where every time we go, we see a different dentist. Every time we go, there's a different front desk team member. Um, where we don't know, we're in the back of our mind, we're thinking, do they really do everything possible to keep me safe here? Do they really? But, you know, Paul, I know if I went to your practice uh, as a patient, that I'm going to, Dr. Goodman's going to take care of me like he would a family member. I mean, one of the, it's a, there's a good point too with that we've been talking about. I think there's just an opening for dentist to, mo so we, in the nacho world, we're not allowed to say change because I think change is a negative word. We say modify. So oh. we're going to change it. We're going to modify. So I think there's a real opportunity for dentists to modify their message. I mean, Robert has done a, and I, but mainly Rob has pushed forward this theme on our podcast of, you know, taking care of yourself mentally, uh, nutrition wise. So maybe now, you know, is a personal trainer part of your mental health team? Yes. Right. So why can't a dentist be part of your physical health team? And it might be easier to see a dentist uh, and, and start to get insight. And I had an idea when we, re, we become less closed, because I don't think, I liked your term, there's no reopening of offices. We're just less closing along the way. Right. Maybe you have an exam day where there's no drilling and you just say, hey, let's get reacquainted. This could be, we may easily be three months out, right? So now yeah. it's a whole quarter. Hey, come in, Rob. We're going to take updated x-rays. We're going to take intraoral pictures. We're going to check out your mouth. No work's going to be done check in with you, that might just be a great opportunity to redefine a little bit or modify your role in patients' lives. Imagine, you know, I, I don't particularly like the term teledentistry because I, I don't believe we, we do teledentistry. Uh, but the idea of virtual consults, yeah. I think that's super cool. And so, you know, Paul, you know, 
that uh, most dental, you guys have been in enough dental offices to know that most dental offices are not set up well for consultations. No. Um, you know, the patient's sitting in the, the operatory, they're fearful, all the crazy armamentaria around them, you know, which is our second nature. We're familiar with all that stuff, but they're not. But, but imagine, imagine, Rob, Rob, imagine you were a, a patient of ours at our practice. And imagine that, you know, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in your mouth. You know, you've gone to, you know, many different dentists over the years, but you've landed in our practice and you've been coming to our practice for a while. You, you like Paul and Tim. We've got two doctors, Dr. Paul Nielsen, Dr. Tim Schmidt. You like Paul and Tim. You love our hygienists. And, and imagine Paul reaching out to you and just saying, hey, you know what, Rob? Um, you know, you, we both know there's a lot of things going on in your mouth. I would love to sit down and, and, and talk to you about, uh, you know, trying to solve future problems and solve them in advance. Uh, and maybe avoiding some issues, you know, in the future. And, and frankly, you can do that from your recliner at home. And uh, we can, we, you and I can just, uh, you know, jump on a video call and, and, and talk about it together. And by the way, we do that as a courtesy for our patients at no fee. Um, we just want to give you the information, you know, that you need uh, to be able to make good decisions about your oral health. Would that be of any interest to you? Um, and I mean, imagine that. And, in the, you know, we have the tools available with technology to be able to do that today. Um, and I think it, it, the idea of a relationship-driven practice, um, which is a catchphrase that I love, has never been more timely than now. Um, you want to go, I think more people are going to want to go to a relationship-driven practice. Yeah. Um, and I think we have an opportunity. Um, and so I, I, I think that if we look at this crisis, as it's, it's both an opportunity and a crisis. Uh, I experience both of those emotions multiple times a day, <laughs> you know, these yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, it gives dentists a chance to, to maybe ask themselves the question, do they really want to go back to normal if normal was an exercise in frustration? Uh, I was bummed. Uh, I, I love your, your Facebook page, by the way. I love the group. Thanks. Um, and I was, I was kind of bummed. When someone, there was a post about your, you know, your son or daughter um, about to head to dental school, they're about to pull the trigger and go to dental school, would you advise them to be a dentist? And I was bummed to see how many, not just no, but hell no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were no, I'm not going to call anybody out on it. And I don't, and I don't uh, discount their emotions and feelings around it. I get it. Um, but I was bummed. I, I, I think you I said haven't. something. I know you're, but Gary, you said something interesting. Just as, so when I was in dental school in 2000, year 2000, I had a lot of sons and daughters of doctors who they said, don't be a doctor, be a dentist. Yeah. I was a dentist. I think it's a poignant thing what you brought up as we shape this history of dentistry. It's not necessarily about saying people wrong. It's about digging in and saying, why are they saying that? And what could we do to shift dentistry now into a, profession that we can modify to be a more win-win for everybody involved. The reality is, um, I think, I, th I think of the, the book, uh, the classic book, The Tale of Two Cities. And I'm just going to use the title as an example. I think our profession is a tale of two dentists. On one side, you've got dentists that are passionate about what they do. They love helping people. They actually love what they do, you know, clinically. Um, and they make a, a nice living doing so. They have a nice work-life balance. They feel like they're doing meaningful work. They're creating a legacy. And then on the other side, you, you've got dentists that can't wait to get the hell out of the profession. Um, and it's the two, it's, you know, that two side. And I, 
I would love to see more people over here on the left-hand side. And the great news of all the different career paths, despite COVID-19 and shutdowns and everything else, I don't think there's any career path in dentistry that compares to owning your own practice. Although uh, about six weeks ago, it wasn't looking like such a great idea. <laughs> would you guys agree? Yeah. yeah. Gary, any career path that matches that. Gary, I, you know, but it's something that, you know, Paul, and I, I love the, the, the analogy here. It's the same thing, you know, when you talk about different dentists, different dental practices, different fulfillment, you know, and levels of happiness. If you talk to somebody that works at Taco Bell and you ask them if they like their job, or you ask somebody if they like their job at Chipotle, or if you ask somebody if they like their job at the fancy Mexican place in Center City, Philadelphia, that Paul loves to go, Elvez, right? They're three different things, right? And so, you know, it's not one size fits all in dentistry. And, you know, it really so much of this goes back to what you said at the outset, you know, you can create your happiness, you know, and if you want to sell your services for rock bottom prices and work your tail off for not a lot of money, then you're probably not going to be a happy person. And if, you're, and if you're content letting that roll through, well, then, you know what? That is what it is. And look, you know, you could say, Rob, you're not a dentist. You don't know, but I'm a lawyer. It's, you know, a different version of the same thing, right? But it's really what you make of it. And that's the great thing about owning a professional practice. It's really up to you and you can chart it out. And, and what I'm hearing now, and I fully believe in so many ways, this is the time that you have to make a change. You know, this is the Phoenix right here, you know, and what are you going to look like after that? You know, and I think... And there's so many things that we have similarities too, Gary, in that, you know, we have people around the country uh, just like you. And this is definitely impacting people differently in different places. It's not just the practice itself and the level of profitability coming into this. It's also where they are, you know, and we talk to people in Seattle, Phoenix, Houston, Miami, and New York and everywhere in between. And it's like, you know, 10 different planets, right? And, and what that's going to look like post-COVID is going to be very different. So, I mean, what I've been telling people all along is, you know, it's good to look to what other people are saying in the industry, but, and whether we're talking about the impact from an economic standpoint or a disease control standpoint, or, or the impact that it's going to have on your particular practice, it's going to be different from place to place, practice to practice. And I think now more than ever, it's so important to take a step back and just assess what you're doing and where you want to go and how you're doing it. Because, you know, what worked before, you know, may not work after and what wasn't working before definitely is not going to work after. That's right. Yeah. I want to, I want to thank you guys for what you're doing. um, Not only in the podcast, but in your group and in everything you're doing Uh, the discussion about fitness uh, is so important, you know, taking care of yourself and, and, uh, Doing that, I uh, as you know, I'm a long distance runner, and uh, uh, I had a 50 mile week last week. Nice uh, work. Yeah, I got in 50 miles last week. That's a big week uh, for me. Uh, I, I kind of work. I, I do about. I'm, I do about I'm working on. A, I'm working on a 50 bottle month. So I hopefully that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm done with that. If you're attorney, I'm going to advise you that may not be the best idea for your health. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Hey, Gary, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. It's hey, always listen, guys, thank you. Thanks for all the work that you guys do. It's much appreciated. You're all in my thoughts and prayers for uh, safety and good health. And uh, thanks for thinking of me and uh, appreciate uh, being part of this discussion. Thank you, thank guys. Thank you, Gary. Hey, Gary, also for our listeners, uh, how can people uh, – 
get in touch with you or learn more about what you do? No, the, the podcast is called The Thriving Dentist Show. The, the website is thrivingdentist.com. Uh, come join us. Um, you know, uh, we've, I've had both of you uh, on my podcast, uh, uh, Paul and, and, and Rob, and uh, love the world of podcasting. We publish every Wednesday. Today, being a Wednesday, is our 4433rd episode. Yeah, nice uh, by the way, that's 433 consecutive weeks. Uh, I'm, wow, I'm nothing awesome. if not reliable. Um, but uh, anyway, today represents, it's our ninth year. Uh, today was episode 433. The episode we published today is all about uh, what you should be doing now, you know, as in April 22nd for marketing. That sounds kind of counterintuitive. Why should you be marketing if you're not open? Um, well, uh, or if you're Less closed. Wait, what, what are you? Less closed. That's Less closed. it, yeah. Okay. So we share some thoughts about what you could do uh, so that when you're less closed, uh, you can kind of hit the beach running. The other thing I think is really important is to realize that this whole thing is a marathon, not a sprint. Totally. Um, I agree with you. And Thanks. if we can, if we can think that. about the marathon analogy um, and think long game, you know, think long game. Um, then I, I feel like it helps us put some things into perspective. Um, but I, I just want to thank you all for all that you're doing and helping dentists maintain a positive uh, mental health, uh, positive spirit, uh, have, have voices to talk to, you know, and, and uh, uh, respected advisors to be able to talk to and, and work through their concerns because I feel like it's helping everyone at, a, at an individual level and it's much appreciated. Thanks, Gary. You too. Thank appreciate you, it for all you're doing. Congratulations, you. too, on the on uh, your 433rd episode in nine years. I could tell our listeners, you know, Gary was the original dental podcaster. Yes. So uh, the, the absolute, you know, the pioneer and the trailblazer in the space. And Paul, I will say that uh, I think doing that for 433 consecutive weeks, I think is the number that, that to me sounds harder than running 50 miles in a week. Yes, I agree. For but, sure. I got the nickname, the pod father. And that was, uh, it was either a respectful moniker or, or just, Someone was calling me an old guy. Uh, I'll go with either one. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. You're perfect. Thank you so much, Gary. Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, good stuff from Gary. As always, yeah, yeah. Great insight. Love to hear his thoughts and, and impressions on, uh, on what's going on in the dental world. And, you know, now more than ever, I think people really need to be listening to, to that message and, and looking to those people who are the thought leaders. And that's why we're doing this podcast. For sure. I agree. Uh, next on deck, batting third here yeah. uh, on the post-COVID uh, volume four, <laughs> uh, Chad Wadinsky, uh, an amigo of ours, a regional director of practice finance for the Northeast for Lendever. And Chad works with first-time and existing dental practice owners who are looking to acquire practices in commercial real estate. In addition, uh, Lendever provides lending solutions for investments in equipment, technology, renovations, expansions, relocations, additional location build-outs, as well as refinancing of practice and commercial real estate loans. This is Chad's first time on the show. Uh, welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being on with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Chad. Thanks for, thanks for checking in. So everyone wants to know about money, so you're the, you're the third hitter, just like for the Mets. So, you know, it's, it's an important slot. Yeah. yeah. And I will say, you know, obviously, everybody has been, uh, and I'm going to say rightfully so, you know, fixated on the PPP to some extent, because I think, Anybody that's, you know, out here on the planet and in the business world needs to at least know what's going on with, uh, with the PPP loans and that program. I think uh, most people, or many people, I should say, are of the opinion that that is not 
filling all the gaps that uh, yeah. most business owners and small business owners have, uh, especially the unique challenges that dentists and dental practices uh, are facing. And, you know, Paul, I think that it's important for people to, to really look to those PPP loans and those opportunities, whether they've received them yet or they're waiting or uh, where they are in the process, that there are other alternatives that people need to be considering as part of, you know, just the overall, you know, arsenal for dealing with this. As you sure. like to talk about the golf bag yeah, the yeah. analogy, you know, there's a bunch of clubs in the bag, right? One of them might be the PPP and maybe you're pulling that one out or, you know, there are other things that you need to think about. And, you know, I think it's uh, Chad and I, you know, recently had a conversation about some things that he's doing with, with Lendever that I think, you know, our listeners really need to be, uh, need to be aware of that, you know, there's a conversation that you should be having with your lender now that goes beyond, can I have two months of forbearance or forgiveness on my loan? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I really think uh, I wanted to get Chad on today. Uh, to talk about that. So Chad, if you can kind of, you know, share with our listeners some thoughts that you have and some, some opportunities and some sort of best practices that, you know, a dental practice owner should be considering right now if they have a loan or even if they don't have a loan on their practice. Yeah. So that, thanks for that, Rob. So, so I, you, you touched on a couple of things uh, that I think most dentists have already started doing. Uh, that's really important. That was the deferring payments. Uh, anyone who has a loan right now, you know, it's, a, it's widely discussed in the marketplace about mortgages and, and things like that that have the deferral option. But when it comes to their business loans, you know, some lenders do require that you call them up to defer your payments. And I think that's something that if anybody has not already done that, they should get in touch with their lender, whether they're giving them 60 days, uh, whether they're deferring or forbearing. Um, I know some, some lenders have said that they just have to tack the payments on at the end. Some are making it uh, payable at the end of the deferment period. There's all different options that are out there, but first and foremost, that's what everyone should be doing. Take that back. First and foremost, everyone should be taking care of their families yeah. uh, and then secondarily their staff. I know Paul's a business, business standpoint. Next thing they should do is look at those deferred payments. And then obviously look at all the other expenses uh, that come along with the practice. Right, your largest expense is always going to be uh, that staff cost, and that really dovetails uh, well into the you know the PPP and before that the EIDL loan that everyone's really been focused on. You know, my my opinion on that, and this is my opinion, is just, it really isn't the magic bullet that everyone uh, was really talking about and expecting it to be. And really, it's it's all about payroll, right? The idea that that, that money is tied to your payroll, the forgiveness is only about payroll. Uh, everybody was applying for it very quickly. I think you know. Not speaking about any banks in particular, I think some of them had a, a rough go at this and, and they're getting a lot of blame. But you, when you talk about some of the larger institutions, they had a ton of applications come in because they have a ton of small business clients. And I know a lot of people are really frustrated out there uh, and they want to get the PPP money. I think you know, there, there's going to be more PPP money available. Uh, so that will come. Uh, but as you said before, there's, there's other things but before, before you say it, Chad, great insight. So you're in New York. So part of me thinks that the PPP they're giving is like this bottle of tequila, but the one that you need is like that bottle of tequila. So, you know, for New York and New Jersey, I'm in New Jersey, you know, just to bring things into some things, our audience, I know would love to hear from someone like you. I have two questions. One, when you were talking, just to go, go back. If you're a practice owner, you own a practice two years, it's your dream, and you have a $7,000 a month payment, 
and now the COVID crisis come. What you're saying is, as a banker through Lendeavor, reach out to the bank and figure out if they can either skip these payments and tack them on at the end yeah. or have to pay them at the end of the forbearance. But that at least gets some anxiety down of if someone's going to come and take their practice away. Am I hearing you right there? You hear that exactly right. Perfect. Exactly. And then my second one is, you know, the PPP is driving me nuts, not your nuts, because first of all, we're closed. And why do I need this money if I'm closed? And then even if they give it to me, if they give you eight, eight to 10 weeks of tequila, but you need 16 weeks of tequila, where's who, how's this gap going to be filled for practice owners? So you're right, Paul. I think it's driving everybody nuts. And the problem is that everyone was so focused on it and now they're still focused on it and so scared about getting it. But it is that little bottle of tequila. The big picture thing that I think everyone should start looking at, and again, this does, it's not just for, for their dental practice, it's really in their life, is look at all your obligations are out there and see what you could do with them. Right, so with a dental practice, as you said, I have a $7,000 payment on my practice. I have about five years left on that loan. And I'm sitting there waiting for my, 45, 50, $70,000 check that's coming potentially from the SBA for my PPP. But what I really should be thinking about is, well, how can I maybe restructure my debt or look at my debt and put it over a longer term and take that $7,000 payment down to a $3,500 payment? Or maybe I don't just have that $7,000 payment, I have the $7,000 practice loan, the $3,000 CAD CAM loan, the $2,000 loan I got from when I got a chair, that all of those smaller equipment loans or on shorter terms. This is the perfect time to speak to a lender, whether it's the lender that you're currently working with today, or it's a new lender that's gonna to look to potentially refinance that, put you on a better term, lower your interest rate, potentially give you some working capital on top of that. Right? Again, we're talking about those small bottles. It would be nice if you could refinance your loan, potentially get a big bottle of tequila along yeah. with your loan so that- Well, that I was, I was hoping yeah. That that was going to be the EIDL for me and my practices, that they'd say, here's this big bottle of tequila, pay it off over 30 years, here's 4% interest. To me, that was going to make me feel comfortable because then I'd say, oh, I got to keep these two practices going that require funding, even if there's nobody in the building, including us. So that's where, I mean, I appreciate you sharing some insight on that. If I could switch topics for a second, because it, it, it helps me and the people that I work with. Now share with us a little bit, what's the current status of people buying practices? If they have a deal on the table or they're looking to buy one, I get a lot of questions, is now a good time to buy? I've been saying the bank is like your mom as a kid. You couldn't do anything until your mom said it was okay. So you could come up with a bunch of harebrained stunts with your siblings, but your, your mom said, nope, you're not going down the hill on that wagon, right? So if you guys, that when is the mom going to say, and you might not know, we are going to fun stuff or what, what has to happen for that to happen? Uh, first, first and foremost, I'm going to be calling my mom after this call because I'm going to tell her I'm honored by my friend Paul who yes. actually me my mom. Yeah, yeah, you uh, are. So, so I would tell you, so the, the things that are going to factor in, um, and again, every lender is going to be different. What I'm hearing from a lot of people in the marketplace uh, is that they're looking at really all transactions the same way and they're going to wait for practices to be back open, to wait for a 30-day or so period uh, you know, maybe not even give you an exact time, but wait till the practice from a production standpoint is on pace to do about 75 to 80% of what it's been doing or was doing pre-COVID. That I don't know is the best answer because I don't think, I think just like your patients, Paul, you can't paint everyone with the same brush. Every patient that sits in that chair, they may have something you need to work on. They may, 
but it's all going to be a, a slightly different. So the way that we're looking at, I know the lenders are looking at it as well, is really I'd say there's three options that are out there. One, the first one is that some people are still looking to close before their offices open up. And that seems insane to I know a lot of people that are out there today, especially those of you that either, either bought one practice or you haven't even bought a practice yet and you're still associating. But there's some established doctors out there that have an opportunity to buy a practice, whether it was from a dentist that was looking to retire or it was a merger, and they're still looking to do that. And in that case, the doctors just would need to be extremely strong from a personal financial statement uh, perspective, low debt, high liquidity, uh, a lot of cash in the bank, and the deal would have to be strong. Right? They're, they're really covering all their expenses and almost like a two to one ratio. So every dollar they have in expenses, they're making two dollars from their office. That'd be option one, but again, that's not happening a lot. The middle option, so not necessarily waiting for the practice to reopen, then waiting for a period of time, then waiting for the practice to prove that it's back on, on, on pace for 75 to 80% of revenue. There's a third option that I would say is in the middle of the two, and that's that some people are looking to close as soon as the practice is open. So really, they're kind of taking it out of mom's hands, to use your analogy, and we're putting it back in their hands saying, look, if you put certain things in place, or at least there are things in place already from the perspective of the doctor, again, strong liquidity, strong personal financial statement, very strong transactions so that we feel when the doctor takes over, they're going to be making a lot of money from that practice. Uh, but something specific to the loan that does help, and it does also go back to the, the whole refinancing thing that we were talking about a minute ago, is that a lot of lenders are offered deferred payments with new loans. So, you know, even on whether it's a refinance or an acquisition loan, if you're getting into your practice and you're going to defer those payments for six months, then you give yourself that much more flexibility. So gotcha. in some cases, we're looking at transactions where, again, strong doctor that's buying the practice, first time practice owner, really strong cash flow in the practice they're buying, and they're deferring payments for six months. So it's been a situation where we feel comfortable. They'll open up. We're not telling them when to close, obviously. But if they choose to close a week after the practice is open, we're fine with that. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's really helpful to a lot of our listeners and me and people in this space doing that. Yeah. Yeah, Chad. So just back to, you know, when you're talking about refinancing. So let's just walk through that a little bit, what that looks like and some, you know, potential benefits to, you know, to a practice owner that has, has debt or doesn't have debt, right? And what, what that could do from a, from a cash flow standpoint for the time for Yeah, so, so going to the, to the latter, I mean, there's, there are some dentists out there, obviously, that are in a fortunate position right now that don't have debt. Um, I think that, you know, the first thing I would do in that situation, uh, if a dentist is just looking for some additional working capital and doesn't have any other debt on the practice, speak to your current lender. Um, I know speaking to a lot of my friends who work uh, at other financial institutions, right now a lot of banks justifiably are focused on the PPP and that's what they're, fo you know, they're not really accepting new applications, they're not focusing on things like lines of credit, but even talking to your, to your current lender, seeing if that's an opportunity so that you can put that security in place and know that whether you need it today or frankly, six months down the road. So I think that's the other part of the, the PPP that people really were focused on is that it is now an eight, as Paul said before, it's an eight week program. Whereas the idea of refinancing and restructuring your debt is really a plan for potentially the next 10 years. Uh, so to touch on some of the highlights of what, when you do uh, a refinance with a lender, uh, first thing is if you're, if you're looking to move lenders, the, uh, you have the opportunity in a lot of cases to what we refer to as recast your debt. 
So today I have a, a practice that's doing a million dollars. When I purchased it, I purchased for 800,000. And now I have $500,000 left in debt about five years to go. And my payment is about $9,000 a month. Well, they could go that that doctor can go to another lender, uh, take a look at that debt and look to one, restructure it from just a, an interest rate perspective. Obviously everyone out there knows that interest rates have come down pretty uh, significantly and everyone's very competitive, whether it's your house, whether it's your dental office. So you will get a lower interest rate. But again, just like the PPP, I think people are very focused on that number. And what people don't realize is you don't pay an interest rate and you have a payment that's, that is associated with that interest rate. And if you go on a 10 year term, then all of a sudden that $9,000 payment becomes $5,000. Again, it's not just talking about the next six months or the next 10 months, 12 months or two years. You now have a $5,000 payment for the next 10 years, right? You have a long period of time that now you don't have to make that larger payment and there's excess cash flow that will help you in your practice to do whatever you want to do, including take care of your staff, maybe make some of those renovations, maybe do some of those marketing things that you wanted to do when things come back from COVID. So that lower payment is probably the, the number one thing I would say that when people are looking at a refinance that really gets them excited. I mentioned before the idea of extending your deferred payments out a little bit further. Almost every lender that I know of, and I truthfully can't think of one that I don't, that hasn't offered this, are giving their clients deferred payments right now. Those deferred payments are going to start running out in June or July. Uh, you know, Paul could speak to this. I don't know where Paul's practice is going to be in June or July. Well, I can't speak to it. That makes two of us. Yeah. We need more little bottles of tequila. So that's why this whole thing, and that's why we're, you know, I think this theme that we're going through here, this is a marathon, not a sprint. But I mean, people are saying we got to ask the dentist to, you know, be a leader and do all this stuff. No one's told me when you're allowed to be open in New Jersey. So yeah. I don't have any more insight today than I did 30 days ago. And I am indefinitely grounded by mom, which was the worst type of grounding. One week, I can deal with that. We'll see when we'll let you be undone. Oh, geez. So that's just, I mean, you've given us some great, great tips here, Chad, for our audience to use and think about and some practical things to do during this time. Yeah, and I think that's crucial too. You know, if there is going to be a period when you are, uh, uh, should say, less closed, Paul, or, yes. or open, whatever that, whatever that looks like, right? I like that, I like that the terminology. And, you know, it's going to be a ramp up. And uh, I think it's an important time to really look back and evaluate, you know, what you can do from a, a debt standpoint to make that, that transition uh, smoother. Because ultimately, too, what we're all looking at is that, you know, there's going to be, there are going to be expenses that you're going to incur. As Chad said, you know, a lot of the things that our guests have talked about the last few weeks are you know, cash flow issues and, you know, marketing and things like that, that people are going to need to need to really think about and, you know, and, and, and possibly put more money into their office, whether it's you know, a new coat of paint or some like things that just make, you know, make the appearance of the office look, look newer and shinier, whatever it's going to be, that's going to be, it's going to cost money. And if you're going to have to spend some money on marketing, patient contact, the office, it's going to have to come from somewhere and it's going to be a very painful time to start writing checks. So if you have the ability to, to lower monthly payments, give yourself a little bit more of a break to ramp up, uh, I think you're probably going to sleep better at night. Now, I'm not saying go out and just you know, go hog wild with debt and throw it on your practice so that, you know, as Gary was talking about, put yourself in a different bad position for the, for the next, you know, great recession. 
but you know, there's there's a happy medium, you know, and and ultimately you just can't go under the rock now and not spend money uh, to to do things, and the money's going to have to come from somewhere. Yeah, totally. I, would, I would absolutely absolutely agree with you, Robin. Just you know, just to the 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 point about taking that that working capital and putting yourself in a better position. At the end of the day, with most lenders, if a doctor gets working capital or even with their practice loans, they have the flexibility to pay it back sooner. So th that ability to principally reduce, you're really setting yourself up for the long term with the flexibility of getting getting these loans paid off sooner. Just putting that extra cushion in the bank because, as Paul said, New Jersey hasn't told him yet when he can open up. New York is not doing the same thing. I know across the country, most states are still in that position. So, and also obviously doctors have no idea as their patients are coming back, how quickly that's going to ramp up. So the idea of leaving yourself that flexibility in every aspect that costs you money, all those expenses in your practice, I think will be tremendously helpful way beyond the PPP, way beyond the EIDL and really the importance of people now, frankly, a lot of people are home right now and have the time to look into these things, get yourself in that better position, put yourself in a better spot for the long term. And I think that'll really help people out and at least just de-stress them a little bit as they start going back to work. That's great. Great advice, Chad. And, you know, I, just to our listeners, you know, you have the the uh, the choice of trying to win the PPP lottery and sit and wait to get the email or, you know, take steps to actually control your destiny here and do the things that you do have control over. You'd be proactive instead of reactive. And uh, I think it's really important, as Chad said, it's a great time to to really evaluate where you are and in every aspect, whether we're talking about cutting overhead, other expenses, you know, and, and what your, your debt looks like and what your cash flow is going to look like realistically as we return this, you know, in some whatever goofy return it is to whatever normal we were going to, uh, you know, and nobody knows. So it's good to have some powder in the chamber for that. Uh, Chad, you know, if, uh, if our listeners or attendees want to uh, get in touch with you or learn more about Lendever, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, so, so with Lendever, it's uh, lendever.com, L-E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R.com. If you want to get in touch with me, it's just my first name. I am the only Chad at Lendever. <laughs> so I think if they hire another one, it's going to be a real problem. But I am Chad at Lendever.com. And then, honestly, at a time like this, Rob, I really feel like most people could use a conversation. Because, uh, again, they're going through a lot of things in, in their lives with their practices. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll welcome phone calls as well for people who – we want to chat about what's going on. My number is 646-265-3004. Uh, thank you guys again so Thanks, much. Chad. Appreciate it. Really appreciate all you do. Have a, have a great have a great rest of your quarantine there until we come out. <laughs> Thanks right. so much, guys. Really appreciate what you're doing it here. And um, it was a pleasure being on here with you guys. Great. Thank you. That's great to have the, the one and only Chad from, from Lendo. Yeah, yeah, I like that. There you go. One Chad. Hey, before we, we get uh, Dr. Nathan Ho in a minute, I just want to speak to one of the, the comments out there. And this is something that we're going to talk about uh, in the coming weeks. And as you and I kind of do the, you know, digest all this just great knowledge and information that a lot of our guests have, have shared with us. And I've, I've heard grumblings of this where people feel like, oh, the, the overhead's going to go up. It's going to get more expensive to pay for the PPE. You know, so the only chance, the only choice we have is going to be to sell to a DSL. You know, and and while you know David Phelps and and Gary Takis both talked about the fact that it's going to get more expensive to operate a dental office, I you don't have to give up on that. That that's not your only your only. Outlet. And and uh, I will share before we bring Nathan on. 
I will never forget this. Uh, as an eight-year-old, my parents ruined my life by making us move. I was really distraught. But I said to my mom, why are we like changing all the wallpaper and doing all the stuff we're moving? She said, well, we want to make it look nice for the people who want to buy our house. So whether you want to sell to a DSO or not, you're still going to have to get your practice going and looking as good as possible. You might as well, you might as well go through those steps no matter what you want to do next because you're going to need to do it to be successful in any endeavor. Yeah, and, and don't assume that DSOs are still going to be in the space to the same extent right, exactly. as they were before. I mean, that's a whole other podcast for another time. You've heard me, my sermon on that, Paul, probably you're sick of hearing it. But I mean, I don't take that for granted. But I think, you know, also people need to start thinking a little more creatively. And one of the other things that Dr. David Phelps talked about was that maybe practices are going to need to collaborate and there's going to be, you know, people sure. doing partnerships and, and there's other ways that you can be creative to still be able to, to practice profitably with you know, these increased expenses without having to you know, turn around and sell your practice at a fire sale to, to a big corporate group. So uh, leading in now to our, uh, our next guest, uh, first time on the show, Dr. Nathan Ho. Uh, Nathan is a serial entrepreneur, dental practice owner, and CEO of EnvisionStars.com which is a patient engagement and marketing platform. As a practice owner, he understands what other practice owners are going through, especially during these times, Paul, and what it takes to build and maintain a successful business. Uh, Dr. Ho is known for his expertise in reputation marketing and referral generation. He helps practice owners acquire new patients and grow their practice by getting the highest return possible on their marketing dollars so they can enjoy more profits and have more freedom in their life. And you know, we've had a number of guests, obviously, to date, Paul, have talked about the importance of, of marketing and staying in touch with your patients and patient communications as we're going through COVID and what it's going to look like after. So I'm excited to have Dr. Nathan Ho on the show to talk about that stuff and more. And welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, uh, Paul and uh, Rob. Uh, I am super excited and uh, thanks for the opportunity uh, to, to be on your show to share some of my uh, ideas and uh, strategies. Yeah. We love it, Nathan. We, I started a watch party in your awesome group, Dental Win Win. So, you know, they'll get to see, get to see us uh, talking with you there. Thanks for, thanks for being here with us. Awesome. Thank you. I'm super excited, man. So let's just jump right in, Nathan. You know, let's start talking to our, our listeners. What types of things are, are you thinking about uh, as a practice owner and also a practice owner who has, you know, great acumen for, you know, patient generation and, and marketing and reputation marketing as we roll through and hopefully depart soon from the, the COVID nightmare. Yes, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I would like to share uh, a brief uh, story about, about um, my practice and, uh, and when I graduated from dental, dental school real quick because uh, the main thing that I, I wanted to, uh, to, to mention is we have to change our mindset, right? Because practicing dentistry in uh, a couple weeks from now or in a month from now is way different from a couple months ago. Uh, so I graduated from uh, dental school in 2008 and uh, and uh, after that, I bought a small practice with a classmate. And three months after that, we started uh, a, a second practice, a startup. And the reason we did that, because uh, not because we uh, were uh, uh, experienced in business or anything, but instead, uh, it's because we didn't know what we didn't know. And we just wanted to get into private practice. And so we struggled for about two years. And then after that, we uh, figured out the marketing game for the first practice and started working with Dr. Michael Appanati, uh, which is uh, who, who's a very well-known dental consultant. And 
And uh, just a few years, a few years after that, uh, our practice grew a lot, and we became um, financial independence. We pay off all of our personal and business debt. Uh, so, so basically, what business owners need to know is they have to change their mindset, right? The second second thing is that they have to try to save as much money as possible and find ways to effectively market and communicate with their patients so they can attract more patients and and and, and generate more uh, new patients from their existing patients. So that way they can uh, grow their practice without having to spend a lot of money on marketing. Great insight there, Nathan, especially for you guys, you know, sharing your, your startup story. Rob's a startup uh, uh, does a lot of work with those uh, startups. Now, as a practice owner now, like you and I are, are medium-age dentists, or yeah, you're, you're early medium-age, I'm later. Uh, what are you seeing with your practice? Like, you know, what is your plan to get patients re-engaged when dentistry, I don't think the right word is reopen, like I've said. The right yeah. word is, is less closed. What, do you, what, what are some ways practices can get re-engaged with their patients, whether it's through a digital platform like you have or through grassroots ways? What are some... some things you're, you guys are going to do? Uh, basically, in my practice, uh, we uh, use the patient communication software uh, to send out, send out emails, and then we also text them. And, uh, and, 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 and we have a lot of online reviews. Currently, we have close to uh, 500 Google, Google uh, authentic reviews. And, uh, and, and in, in our practice, uh, we usually get a lot of referrals from our existing patients. So when we announce to our patients that we are open and ready to serve you, uh, some of them, I know some, many of them will, will come in. As a matter of fact, our schedule is, uh, is, is booked right now, not six column booked, uh, because we, uh, I told my team members to only book one column for the hygienist and one column for, 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 for us. I have a, a partner in, in my practice. Um, and, so, and so our strategy is to get those patients in and try uh, to get them to accept comprehensive dental care and try to get them to uh, let us do as much treatment as possible in in uh, in one appointment, uh, and uh, I think I think that's gonna be the strategies because uh, when we re partially reopen, we won't be able to have a productive column, backup column, and then hi, hi, two hygiene columns and back backup hygiene column like before, right? So we're going to try to do as much as we can in uh, in each appointment uh, with each patient. That's a smart plan. And Nathan, what types of things are you doing when you're communicating with your patients? Are you you're trying to make an effort to get them comfortable with, you know, what, you know, infection control and sterilization in the office or what types of things are, what's the message that you're trying to, to, to get out there to them, to, to keep them engaged and give them, you know, the, the confidence that it's okay to come back to the dentist? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, we basically uh, tell our, our patients that uh, currently we close uh, due to the pandemic because we want to keep everyone safe. Uh, but the message that we, uh, we, that we communicate with them is basically telling them that when we reopen, uh, we will focus on sterilizations and infection control and we will see less patients. And, uh, and we basically tell them the protocol or check-in protocol uh, of 
of, of having them uh, wait in the car. And then when we're ready, we uh, get our team members to get them and take them straight to the operatory. Uh, so uh, it's just, just things like that. And basically uh, uh, messages like uh, tell them that we care, we miss them, and we are excited to see them back. And there are some patients that are not comfortable right now, but which is okay because we, we, don't, we don't have the capacity uh, or, the, or the means to see uh, 20, 30, 40 patients like before. Nathan, we had, our first person on was David White, who's, an, who's a practicing dentist from the ADA. We talked about states doing different things. What's Texas, because I'm, so I'm a New Jersey dentist, I live in PA, but what is Texas saying, like when you reopen your office, what is the guidance or guidelines they're giving you? You said you have patients wait in the car. Are they giving you that guidance or are you just thinking that's a good idea? I'm just thinking that that's a good idea because uh, it's for patient's sake because if they were to wait in a waiting room with other patients, they probably won't, won't feel comfortable. Um, uh, okay, so this week I went out running, right? And then sometimes I see one running uh, uh, on, the, on the same road and when they see me, you know, they kind of like jump six feet away from me. Yeah. So, I, so I think it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's a natural response. So when our patients come into our practice and if they see a lot of patients around them, they probably won't feel comfortable. Uh, as far as the guidance from, uh, from, from our governor in, in Texas, uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of unclear right now because they mandate all the dental offices to close uh, except, uh, uh, except uh, um, uh, to, to come in to do emergency visits only, right? And so, so, we, so we have to, uh, so we can't do elective procedures until May 9th. And who knows what the new guidance is going to be. Uh, I'm sure uh, when, when he uh, offers us new guidance, he will say, you know, to, to do less hy- hygiene uh, or to focus on seeing less patients. Uh, that part is unclear. I think what I want to say in the theme that's throughout, throughout this, I for, forgot we had another dentist on here, Rob. Ha-ha, only, only 60% non-dentist. Uh, that's usually what I'm happens. thinking about is, you know, people have been talking this is a marathon, not a sprint. We're business owners for a long time. So everyone is focused on, a lot of people are focused on when we can be reopened, but mm-hmm. is it right to be reopened? Are we, do we have enough information to keep everyone safe? If we're looking at our business over five years to an extra month of being closed to make sure we're being safe and we have a plan is nothing versus charging out into a field where we're not sure what to do. And I, I admit that that's a very hard decision because you want to go and help your patients but I still go back to the same question I had on March 14th. How do we keep our employees safe in the office when they're seeing patients being close to each other all day long? Everyone is saying, keep everybody away, but you have an assistant, a front desk, and this. What is their management in the office? And also they're saying, go out and take the temperatures of the people in their cars. Forget if someone doesn't have a car, forget if you're in the city, but do you wanna be the person going out there to take that temperature Who's that person going out there? So I just feel right now that we're still in a very lack of guidance state amongst any state. And I'm just concerned about it, to be, to be honest. You know what, Paul? I am concerned about it as well. Uh, there's no concrete guidance right now. And, and if there are guidance, we don't even have enough PPE uh, for, for all of our team to wear and to last for over a month right now. Right. Uh, so, so, yeah, so that's the that's a, that's a reason why we uh, try to see less patients. And, and our strategy is to, to see less patients, but to do more for each patient. It could be like dental school. Whether you're cleaning, you're filling, you're crowned, whatever you need. If Rob's my patient, 
anything you need for the next year, we're doing it now, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. And, one and we have day, one mask. That's it. One patient a day. Everything uh, and, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's right. And, and we just gonna have to be authentic and, and honest with our patients, right? We're going to tell them, okay, here's your chance. Uh, if we do everything today, if you can afford it, right, then you won't have to come back twice. Yeah. Yeah, we won't have to give you more shots. You know, everyone is, uh, is afraid of the shots, right? So if we tell them all those benefits, most likely they'll go for it uh, and uh, if they go, don't go for it and we move on to the next patient if you sit at the bar long enough and you're on your like fifth drink the bartender gives you that one for free so yeah this class two is on me open up you know so that's yes i wouldn't know that analogy but anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but it strikes me though you know with you know we talked to that to, uh, to david white at the outset you know and he was saying that you know it's really you're gonna have to take sort of the cues from your team as to when they're ready or they're comfortable and I think it's going to be the same thing with patients. It strikes me as you know the only non-dentist on this on this this aspect of the uh, of the show right now in this conversation is I think that certain patients are going to have a higher tolerance for we'll say risk for lack of a better word, and certain employees are going to have a higher tolerance for you know quote unquote risk. So I mean you know, I almost see that you know the initial days of opening are going to be like you know. Who's, who's up for it, you know? If, if there are, you know, if you have three or four team members who are younger, healthier, who feel like, hey, you know what? I feel okay about this, you know? Like you don't have to have, you know, feel like the world is ending. I mean, that, that's one thing out there, right? But it, everybody doesn't share that opinion, you know? And, and from a patient standpoint or a team pa- standpoint. So, I mean, I almost foresee something where it's sort of like, all right, you know, if you're up for it, we're open and here we are. Team members, if you wanna come and work, we, you can come work, you know, and, and patients, if you want to come get treated, you can get treated. You know, we've had, uh, you know, guests on have talked about, you know, the three types of patients. I think it was Jerry Jones, Paul. You know, there's going to be the people that are like, yeah, sure, no problem. There are going to be people that want to see like, hey, I kind of want to see how things go. And there are going to be people that just don't want any parts of it for a long time. It's going to be the same thing with your team members. And so I don't feel like we can sort of, you know, try to, you know, direct, you know, our opening and make our business decisions at you know the extremes of that of that segment you know because there are people that may not be comfortable for five years we can't wait five years to open whether it's a patient or a team member and just sort of let things go gradually and the people that are in that second tier are going to get comfortable as in as the wait and sees hopefully sooner than later and that's going to be what brings things back to normal i think it's probably a mistake from my perspective to wait until everything's perfect for everybody to start rolling things out because that's going to be a really long time and i think it sends the wrong message to to other patients and other people that want to come to work that's right it's such a it's such a complex uh, issue right now because uh, right now it's a perfect time to change our mindset and, and think of this as a, as a startup, right? So we have to be in the startup mentality. Uh, and during this pandemic, may, maybe it's a survival mentality. Uh, but but the, the complex thing is that most dentists qualify for a PPP. So the government encouraged us to, uh, to hire most of the team member back in order to, for the loan to be forgiven. So do we hire all of them back or should we treat it as a startup and only hire one front, one back and gradually increase the team members? The questions, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, but in, in my practice, we uh, we uh, you know I uh, I don't spend a lot of money, so I I, ha- I have some reserve in the business and in my personal account, so I'm not too worried. But there are so many dentists that 
all four five hundred thousand dollars from dental school, and then another four five hundred thousand dollars on, on the loan. That's why we, and that's why they say I think life is. We had Todd Fleischman on our podcast, good friend, and he talked about his practice that he has, and he said he got lucky. It was good timing, but he put himself in a position for good timing. But I'm have I'm willing to say, like you and I, Nathan, we're in different positions than someone who just bought a practice or just got out of dental school. So there's a lot of timing aspects in people's dental circle of life as to how they can navigate the next phases of this. And I, you're a great Facebook owner. I try to just like, I want to try to embrace the whole community and figure out how we can help each person at each stage because there's a lot of people who have done all the right business things and they don't have any personal savings because this is the stage where they're building things up. That would have happened to me at a certain time in my life. That's not now, right? But I mean, so I just, the awareness of all the different people on this nacho plate is just a key factor in it to me. That's right. Uh, I share, I share um, a, a post and then a win-win. Uh, and uh, the author said, we are not uh, uh, on the same boat, right? Instead, yeah. we, we are in the same storm, but not, not, not in the same boat. So, uh, so that, that's, that's the situa- situation right now. And I, I try to be as understanding as possible and try to re- reach out to as many dentists as possible and connect them with uh, the dental experts like, uh, like yourself, Dr. Ap- uh, Marco Appanati, David Phelps. And we provide a lot of information out there um so it's it's uh, it's not an easy issue to solve but uh, we just hope for the best for for all colleagues yeah i agree thanks, thanks and i think thanks, it's important thanks. for people to to really recognize that and they're probably sick of hearing me say this though, but it, i think it's a great way of putting it you know you're in the same storm you know i uh, think we just say same storm different boat you know and and that's really the case here and and where you're when you're looking around for cues as to what you should be doing it really just depends it's practice to practice you know, location to location, different regions of the country are impacted differently for sure. And what that's going to look like from a governmental standpoint as we recover, it's something that, that David White was talking about at the outset, you know, and, and, and what works and what you have to do in Texas is, is going to be different than what you're going to do in New Jersey, in New York, in Phoenix, in Seattle, you know, and then, you know, it's going to come down to from practice to practice and what kind of resources you have, what type of patients you have, uh, PPO, fee-for-service, what you can afford to, to do from a marketing standpoint. There's so many variables in this that it's just, you know, I, I, we talk to dentists a lot, you know, in our, in our law practice, you know, and they want to know the, the answer. What, what should they do? You know, and, and there is not a one-size-fits-all ever with anything, and this is the ultimate expression of that, you know, and it's just really on a case-by-case basis. And, you know, we said a couple of weeks ago, Paul, that, you know, people are going to have to get comfortable with the fact that they're going to have to try some different things. There's not going to be certainty. Some things are going to work. Some things are not. And this is a time, as we said with Gary Takis earlier, this is the time to reinvent yourself. You know, you really have the opportunity to flip the switch and try new things because the expectation is that everything will change post-COVID. Yeah. One patient, I like that, Nathan. One patient a day like dental school, do all the work one mask, one set of clubs and call it a day. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, and you know, uh, there's this, this one thing that every practice uh, owner can do. And I think Paul would agree with me on this, right? There are different ways to market and, and to bring patients in, but every dentist, every practice owners can build a refer a strong referral system uh, to generate 
more patients so that way they can save money on marketing. But again, we have to go back to see if we have enough PPE for our team uh, to see if we have enough team members that would be willing to come in to serve those patients. So, uh, so basically, we all need to write down a game plan of what we need to do and, 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 and prepare. So that, I, think, I think that's the only thing we can do. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Yeah. We appreciate it. Uh, really good insight from you. And uh, appreciate you coming on as a, as a dental practitioner like me and sharing some positivity, but also some of the reality of what we're facing. That's right. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nathan. And if uh, our listeners and attendees want to uh, get in touch with you or find out more about what you're doing, uh, how can they do that? You know, I'm on uh, Facebook 24-7, so they can uh, search for my name or go to Dental Win-Win, or they can even find me on, uh, on the Naturals group, uh, or they can email me uh, at uh, NathanHo at EnvisionStars.com. Thank you so much, guys. Great. Awesome, Nathan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so Paul, I mean, it's just, you know, with, with that, it sort of, you know, it reminds me of the, the, the classic Jim Valvano, right? You know, yeah. survive in advance. And I yes, that's yeah. what it's going to need to do now in the, in the near future. And uh, it's different times. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be easy. Things are going to be okay. And then they're probably not going to be okay. And then they're going to be somewhat okay. And that's going to look like a disaster again. Like this, this is not going to be a, Hey, Hey, we're back. You know? And yeah, I think totally for worse, you know, I think, uh, a lot, you know, and seeing in the media and, you know, now it's getting airtime that, you know, get ready for next winter. It's going to even be worse yeah, than that. Yeah, I, know. I want to strangle the person. We're, we're still in this storm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, do, we, do we really have to just totally demoralize everybody with that? You don't even know if it's true, right? Yes, I know. So, uh, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, your, your analogies with, with your daughters, you know, you're not going to tell them whether or not they're going to get dessert, you know, a month from now. Yeah, like, right, what? exactly. Right? Very it's true. destructive, for God's sakes. Uh, so I'm excited for our, uh, our cleanup guest here uh, nice. today, adding uh, in the cleanup spot fifth, but the cleanup spot for us today, uh, first time uh, on our show, uh, Brian Hanks. Uh, and Brian's an accountant who is a buyer advocate for dentists. And I think you like to call that buyer coach, Paul. Yeah, your, sure. your, uh, and the author of the book, How to Buy a Dental Practice. He also runs the Practice Purchase Podcast. Uh, an account that represents buyers on transitions all over the country. And uh, as he likes to say, he's not bitter at all that he hasn't gotten any of the PPP money that Harvard did. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah. great to have uh, Brian on the show. We've, we've collaborated with mutual clients. I like to see what he's got out there and his posts and in social media and lots of great things to say. And um, psyched to have him on the show and chat with him about, you know, what practice transitions are going to look like uh, post-COVID now. We've had a lot of people that have talked about, you know, I have a valuation that was pre-COVID. What does that look like? What should I be doing? And so, uh, you know, without further ado, uh, welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Amigos. It's a pleasure to be with both of you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and the, the specific post that I was talking about, which you know, hit me like a, a diamond bullet in the head last last week or a few days ago. I don't even know when it was. I've completely lost track of, of time uh, and days. Um, it was, you know, a post that I saw on, on uh, it may have been Nachos or another Facebook group, but I thought it was really on point, you know, and uh, where you were talking about what practice values are going to look like and what buyers should be thinking about from a valuation standpoint and a deal structure standpoint as we roll you know, through hopefully the tail end of COVID and, and after. 
Yeah, the, the specific tip I shared there is one that I'll, I'll share with the, your audience now. Uh, and as I do that, I mean, I'll just, I'll make two comments. The first is that I'm in the same position all of us are in, which is nobody really knows much. We're still waiting to see a lot of things. There are some signs that are, are kind of leading us to believe certain things, but I mean, this could all change next, next week. Uh, so stay frosty is my advice <laughs> to most buyers and sellers. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'll share the specific advice and then uh, Rob and Paul, if you don't mind, I'll share some of the, I'll share, I have four specifically, uh, four, we'll, we'll call them indicators that are out there okay. in the transitions world that will really help kind of buyers and sellers. Um, but yeah, I mean, the specific advice that I have is, is if I'm listening, I'm having conversations with sellers, with brokers, uh, with their attorneys, and the common thread that I'm hearing out there is, hey, listen, like, you know, this wasn't my fault. I'm not really looking to lower the value of my practice. If there's a deal in place, I'm looking to, for you as the buyer to honor that deal. If I'm a, if I'm a potential seller that's thinking about selling my practice down the road, I'm likely not considering dropping the price significantly today. Uh, and that's a reasonable point of view, right? I mean, the sellers are th they're sitting there saying, hey, listen, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen to patients. Um, they could all come back and they could all come back in droves. And, uh, you know, things can look great from uh, six months from now, 12 months from now. And uh, buyers, buyers are kind of, they're, they're taking the opposite tack. They're saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold on. A, I'm not going to buy a business I can't legally run, right? So nobody's closing on anything unless which, they're- Which I will say, Brian, pretty responsible way to live your life, though. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, right? that, like, you know, when you said the seller stuff, I have to bring it out. That is my TSD, less TSD. Oh, there you go. You talk to a dentist- who said it wasn't my fault we had a pandemic. That is very dentist, right? <laughs> Only just so you know, the pandemic was not my fault. That is total TSD. That's so dentist. But keep going. Great point. Well, the funny, well it's funny because the, the other side of the deal, they're dentists, right? So they're uh, dentists yes, talking yeah, to dentists. Yeah. <laughs> so the buyers, they have reasonable expectations as well. And essentially, my, my solution is this. And Rob, you referenced this. You can find uh, the suggestion in a blog post I wrote. But it's, hey, listen, if you're a seller saying, my practice is still amazing, and if you're a buyer saying, gosh, I'm not really sure, there's a solution. And that solution is, um, you know, it's what I call a contingency. It's just add a contingency clause to the sale. And, and my caveat, and Rob, you'll love this, my caveat is, man, work very closely with your attorney on the specific language here. And don't forget, Rob, Paul, Talk to your mom, right? You got to yeah, talk yeah. to the bank. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to, you know, approve or disapprove of this. But the contingency clause is essentially this. And, and here's my example. All right. I'm going to, Paul, I'm, I'm moving to Jersey. I'm going to buy your practice. I don't have a dental license, but for some reason you're going to sell me your practice and I'm going to pay the dirt cheap price of $750,000, right? I could come to you and say, Hey, Paul, listen, I'm still happy to pay you $750,000. But with all of the stuff that's going on, we're, I, I got to put in this contingency clause that says, the bank's going to fund, and I'm making this up, right? So these numbers aren't set in stone, but it could be something like, Paul, I'll pay you six fifty today. And in six months, provided we hit certain production and collections benchmarks, I'm going to pay you another 50K. And then I'm going to pay you the other 50K 12 months from now when I hit some additional production and collections metrics. And, um, you know, that could be a way for buyers and sellers to say, hey, listen, we don't know what the future holds. And, uh, and that, that might suffice to help people feel more confident. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And to me, I think it's really, it's about allocating the risk. You know, I can't, a seller 
can't reasonably expect the buyer to accept all of the post-COVID you know, economy downturn risk in a deal. You know, it's one thing if you want to wait two years to sell your practice until things, quote unquote, return to normal. That's right. one thing. But if you expect to sell your practice in, you know, soon after, you know, uh, offices start to open up before a track record has been established or reestablished, you can't expect to just drop your trash off on the buyer. Right. And, yeah. and say, I'm sorry, it wasn't my fault. You know, like it's just it becomes too risky because, you know, my thought is, Brian, if you're looking at a practice that was. You know, that last year grossed $800,000. What's that going to gross in the next 12 months? Is it going to gross 300, 600, 250, 500? I mean, it's almost like throwing a dart at a board. Like, I don't think any of us know, right? Right, right, right. So if you're a seller, you're, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, again, you know, Paul, that's so dentist. I mean, you're thinking, oh, you know, three months ago, my practice was worth, was worth 750. Why wouldn't it be again today? There's no evidence that it's not worth 750. Therefore, I'm going to list it at 750. And you know what? You might be right as the seller. Um, you know, but if you're the buyer, you're taking some. You're taking a pause, probably, right? But here's I want to make the. So I'm going to talk directly to the the associates, the dental students, the people that are thinking about buying a practice. If if you're in the boat that you're thinking to yourself, you know, I think I'm going to wait, and you're thinking year or two in your head, I think that is a giant mistake. It's a giant mistake, right? So um, I understand the need to want some certainty out in the marketplace. And Rob, like you said, you want to allocate the risk, right? Do all the things you need to do to allocate your risk. But if you put your career on pause for a year or two to may maybe make sure that you feel okay about what's happening out in the dental landscape and you know where production and things are and on some practice you're thinking about buying, um, the, the biggest loss that you can never get back is your time. And if you think about, you know, if we had, I don't know, like Reese Harper on or somebody, right? He would preach to us the value of compound interest all day long. And the, the real value of compound interest comes right towards the end of that graph, right? So if you lose a year or two of ownership, let's just, you know, let's not talk about the compounding interest of your knowledge of being a business owner or your ability to effectively manage your staff or treatment plan to patients because now you're on the line to pay that practice note. I mean, let's set all that aside for a second. Let's just talk about the monetary loss that you're going to take to wait to feel better. I'm all about feelings and I'm not trying to discount feelings, but if you are thinking about making a career move to either sell or buy your practice, you know, let's keep numbers as a part of the conversation in addition to those feelings that you have. I mean, it's opportunity cost, you know, and that's, that's, exactly. you know, it's, uh, it's true expression. So, you know, and with that, you know, generally that type of structure we're talking about is, you know, where you're going to have some sort of earn out or a seller note that's going to be forgiven is a structure that DSOs have generally employed and do employ in deals. It's not something that we see as much in deals with owner operators. And so that brings us to a question I have. I know you've got a few other points that you want to cover, so be sure to get them in. But when I have those conversations now with some people and I say, hey, you know what? You buyer really need to ask the seller to uh, to agree to some sort of contingency or some sort of earnout, a lot of times the initial response is, yeah, but what if they don't want to sell me the practice? What if there's somebody else that gets it? And to, so to me, this is one of the questions I, I have for you that we exchanged messages on and, you know, we'll save it for the big reveal now. You know, those people, those buyers are still wired into, they've been beaten down so much to like the, 
the pre-COVID seller's market where there's any half-decent practice. There's six people in line that want it. And like, oh, boy, I don't want to offend the seller. If I offend the seller, I won't be able to buy this practice. So, Brian Hanks, is it still a seller's market or have we moved to a buyer's market where a buyer can, you know, in good conscience say, hey, you know what? I don't have to agree to pay you that $750. You need to agree to this earnout because that's the reality of where we are, seller. You can't call all the shots anymore like you could six months ago. What do you think? I think that we're moving in the direction of more of a buyer's market. And I'm going to give you two pieces of evidence to back that up. And then I'm going to undercut my own argument with a third piece of evidence. All right. <laughs> so, like a lawyer, yeah, you know, in, in true, I'm talking to an attorney, Rob. So my, in true yeah, attorney yeah. fashion, I have to really, say it depends. Right? Literally spend way too much time talking to it. Yeah. <laughs> For your own well, well you know, so if you're watching the live stream, if this gets turned into a podcast, you're not going to see this. But um, I've got, I was watching YouTube the other day and they have those, those reveals where someone uh, searches for an actor. Oh, nice. I like that. All right. So here's my first piece of evidence. I'm going to reveal it with, uh, by taking the paper off my little whiteboard here. My first piece of evidence is that 80% of the buyers out there are still totally eager, but 20% are not. And what's interesting is who are the 20%, Okay. 20% of the buyers out there that aren't eager, first, you're seeing uh, the underprepared and those buyers who are reaching, right? They, they were, they didn't necessarily have the five things every buyer needs, right? To buy a practice, you got to have uh, easiest to hardest. You got to have a, a credit score over 680. You got to have good, clean credit history, no bankruptcies or short sales. Got to have, um, um, production history, a year out of school in most cases, and then you got to have some cash. And in general, the rule is the, the lesser of 10% of the sales price or $50,000, where, you know, three months ago, six months ago, banks were saying, ah, you've only got, you know, $20,000, we could probably make that work, right? Or you've been out of school for six months, we can probably make that work. Today, you know, you're seeing the buyers that were on the edge and the bubble, so to speak, of, of approvability by an underwriter, they're not getting approved today, right? And those are the buyers that are running scared to what I call the perceived safety of corporate jobs. And I use that word very deliberately because, you know, a lot of buyers are coming to me and they're saying, hey, Brian, like, I just got laid off or I got furloughed or whatever. Uh, and I just realized that as an owner, my income can go down, right? It can absolutely go down. The ownership of a business is not a risk-free enterprise. But as an associate, my income can go to zero tomorrow, right? So that's the risk reward that a lot of associates are, are, are realizing is out there. So I've got 80-20, right? 80% of the buyers are still eager um, and 20% are scared. And here's my second piece of evidence, Rob. I'll get my little whiteboard out. Okay, I like that. Okay, so you asked about DSOs, right? So I'm saying... I've got up here buyers greater than DSOs, right? So, um, and, and what I mean by buyers is traditional buyers, right? Your traditional, you know, I've been out of school for seven years or less type of buyer. And, and my evidence for that is as I'm talking to banks, as I'm talking to brokers, as I'm talking to some of the DSOs out there, by the way, who, um, you know, think that I'm a resource, which is a whole separate story. Um, a lot of the DSOs are private equity backed. Right? And what has the stock market done recently? I mean, it is gyrated like crazy. And you know, as we're recording this, it doesn't look too bad, but a lot of the private equity funds are scared. And, and beyond that, right? private equity backs some of these big, big DSOs, 
most of the DSOs aren't there out there aren't that big. They're a group of dentists or they're one dentist who really got, you know, a, aggressive and wanted to get out there and buy multiple practices. And I'm seeing and I'm talking to a lot of brokers. Paul, I'd be curious if this is true for you. I'm talking to brokers right now. They're busier than ever. Right? They're saying, hey, well, first of all, the dentists are sitting around with nothing to do. So they're talking to me about valuing their practice. And B, a lot of the DSOs, the smaller DSOs, the, the partnerships or the groups or the solo dentists, they're saying, holy cow, that second th- practice, that third practice that I thought was going to be a goldmine for me is just a weight. It's just an ankle weight. I got to ditch this thing. So I'm selling it. Right? So yeah, I would say there's a lot of uh, verbal activity, if that's a word. Yes. Uh, what, what people are doing moving forward, I'm not sure, but I, I think that's a good point. There's some verbal activity uh, with people thinking of making moves. I think people could do weird things after this. I think some people are going to sell a practice you never thought they would. People are going to stay. So I, I would, I would, I would uh, agree with that. So just to kind of recap, I've got two pieces of evidence to tell me that, um, you know, there's plenty of buyers in the marketplace. And, but some of them have backed out and, and now I've got, um, you know, fewer DSOs and potential, you know, people that were competing on deals. So your traditional dental school, two, three year associate buyer now has less competition and now it's just simple supply and demand, right? I've got, um, I've got a roughly equal amount of supply. I don't know yet, Paul, if those verbal conversations are going to turn into actual practices listed but I've got roughly equal supply, less demand. Therefore, the buyers have more power than they did yesterday. Right. Right. For sure. And I think, you know, a lot of people are sort of floating out a lot of dentists, I should say, that, oh, yeah, DSOs are just going to come in and buy up everybody. And that, that's it. This is, this is the final, you know, the final song for our operators. I just, it's, to me, it's the exact opposite. I mean, I see a lot of them fleeing the space with a lot of distressed assets and, and vacant offices kind of available for, for people. And that's not all of them. And, and you know, too, Brian and Paul, you know, we talk about DSOs, as you said at the outset, Brian, there's no, like, there's no uniform DSO. You know, some of them are very well backed and well funded with private equity money. Some of them are kind of thin and over leveraged to begin with. Some of them are dentists that own five, 10, 15, 20 practices. There's no sort of set, you know, yeah. you know model for what they look like. But to me, the ones that aren't in it, for the long haul to own and operate and run a profitable dental practice. It's just the challenges that they're gonna be faced in the profession and, and owning a, a dental practice post COVID are just gonna be so great that if you're not really willing to make the sacrifice and, and go through all the blood, sweat and tears to make this work and get it back on track, like you're just out of here. And most of them, they fall into that category. This is a financial investment for them it's not their profession. You know, it's not, it's not the business, you know, and you know, somebody like Paul, you know, like you and Jeff, you're going to make it work. You know, you yeah. don't have a choice. You know, yeah. no, <laughs> right. You got to do it. You're it's our do practice. It. Whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. You got to go back there and open up that closed beach bar and be like, is anyone serving margaritas here? So yes, yeah. you're that very That's right. Jeff saying like, you know what, Jeff, the ROI in 2021 on our practice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Let's yeah. just like, this pot. is what we do. I should have practiced being better looking, but here we are. Right. So <laughs> that's it. I like that. So that's, that's the second, uh, second component on the, uh, on the reveal. Any more, Brian? But yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul, you're, uh, Rob, you, you kind of made my third point for me. And that is the buyers are just asking the question, right? They're saying, Hmm, is this price right? 
right? Yeah. They're just saying, they're just asking the question, right? So I don't know if that's a fundamental change or shift in the supply and demand out in the marketplace, but I will tell you that the, my clients, the buyers I'm talking with, the prospective clients, they're all more aggressive in asking that question. Whereas, you know, three months ago, it was great. I found this practice before some DSO did. Let me get an LOI in at above asking price so that I can reserve my spot in line and I'm happy to do it. And versus today, they're saying, you know, are you kidding me? You want me to pay how much of it as a percentage of collections or how much on EBITDA? And they're, they're having that blunt conversation, which, all right. So here's my point why sellers may want to, you know, have a little bit of hope, right? It's not a buyer's market for sure out there. And I've alluded to this already with my fourth point, And that is banks are just saying, hey, you need to get stronger, right? If you're a buyer, if you are looking at a practice to buy, um, you know, you got to get Chad was on and he was talking about how banks are, you know, they're de-risking out there. Uh, Chad works with Lindever. I've talked with multiple reps at depository banks, right? Your B of A's, your Wells Fargo, PNC's, Columbia's. And they're saying, hey, first of all, if I have any time to allocate brain power to dental deals when I'm not dealing with PPP loans, um, I'm telling buyers that we're not lending as much as we used to. Right? B of A specifically is saying out there right now, and, and you know, if, if there's a, a B of A person out there that wants to correct the record, this is just what I've heard uh, from the lenders is, you know, yeah, we were willing to go up to 100% of last year's collections before. And they're saying no more. They're saying we're going back to 85% of last year collections and, and exceptions to that on a case-by-case basis. Um, so deals are getting tighter and buyers are getting looked at and scrutinized um, a lot more frequently and a lot more intensely than they were in the past. So sellers can take some hope that it's not going to be, it's not going to be a totals buyer's market out there. Interesting. And that's what, you know, Alistair McDonald, who was on a couple of weeks ago, talked about that, that, you know, there was a lot of hot money that was out there. Well, you know, and, and for me, you know, I saw in, in 2008, that a lot of a lot more money came into the space. That's really when private equity started to come in in force, and you know more deposit banks started to get into the dental lending space because look, banks and and private equity groups they make money by lending money or investing money, you know, and and so when the economy is bad, they have to find uh, they have to find some place to put it. And dentistry was always the recession-proof place to put it. We're in a in a weird place generally now with the with the economy. But since then, what has happened is really you know, it's been sort of a race to like just for the money to get hotter and hotter to the point where we probably you know pre-COVID got to a place that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, in some cases, to what what loans were being made and who was able to borrow for what practices. So it was almost like a correction was, was needed for, for other reasons. And as we said earlier, with any crisis, you know, trends get amplified and, and we're, we're probably going to look at that one now and say, yeah, you know what, maybe these crazy loans aren't, aren't available anymore, but you know, a solid loan that that's underwritten right with, with the right borrower, who's got the right, you know, cash flow, right reserves and the right deals. Well, you know, as Chad said earlier, those deals are going to get financed. I also think that it's just time to be JBR, which is just be real. And so what Chad said, what Brian said, he said is, and I'm watching the last dance from Michael Jordan. I was a Barkley fan back in the day. 
it's all about points per game. So Chad said, we're going to see what happens in 30 days. You said, Brian, they're going to lend 85% or 80%. The point is, what are the points per game? What are the collections? I've been a practice owner since 2005, acquired multiple different practices, mergers, Rob calls them fold-ins, other locations. Uh, it's not easy to maintain production in an acquisition sometimes because you're changing the dentist. The patient's confidence is different. We're going through a stretch, like Gary Takis said, or the Churchill quote, if you're going through hell, you have to keep going. I just need to see, or I'm just interested to see what the collections of practices, what it's going to be for the rest of 2020. My own included. You know, my brother and I are going back to our practices, and I don't know how many patients are returning or team members. And it's not to be negative. It's just to be realistic as to what's going to happen. We've talked about also patient confidence and what are they going to spend. So it doesn't mean to all run and say you can't ever buy a practice again, but it also means to just be aware of your biggest life decision buying a practice is going to shape a lot of the things that you do and you just want to do it in a way that makes sense. Not, not, nacho, not nacho sense, uh, a real sense. So really, really good insight there, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, my last piece of advice would be sellers or buyers, right? Um, you know, keep making plans, make your plans yeah. because the, the, the answer to the question of what's next and how, and what's going to happen is, is, is yes, nobody knows, but I always say as compared to what, all right, yeah. you're an associate and you're thinking you might buy, but now you're thinking you might wait. Well, what do you think is going to happen to your salary? You're on a percentage of production as it is. And you're worried about buying a practice because that production might go down. What do you think is going to happen to your associate production? Right. So as compared to what you're going to sell, you're going to wait to two years to sell your practice because you might get a hundred grand more. Well, as compared to what could you be doing during those two years that you're going to wait? So always, always ask the question as compared to what, and uh, I remember one to, you know, tell someone that their feelings don't matter, but there's, there's uh, math that goes along with the feelings. You need to keep both of those things in mind. Yeah. Great, great points, Brian. So I think kind of the takeaway here is, you know, should you do deals? Yeah, you should do deals that make sense, you know, and uh, that are structured properly that, as we said, you know, allocate the risk properly so that, you know, you know that you're doing, you know, you're doing the right thing, you know, and, and not just charging in, paying money recklessly or buying practices that aren't appropriate, you know, that seems like a, a buyer can can do a good deal now, or at least continue, continue to pursue a good deal now as we, as we roll out of this without being deemed to be a, a reckless person. Totally. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, Brian, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show. Uh, a fellow podcaster. Uh, so uh, I know you kicked off your podcast recently and hope, hope that's going well uh, and you're enjoying it. I know Paul and I have, have had a great time with, with ours. And so, uh, for our listeners, uh, tell them you know what the name of that podcast is, uh, and how can they find out more about you and what you do for dentists. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Practice purchased is the name of the podcast. It's a little different. Um, I, uh, I, you know, your decision to buy a practice is usually a one-time in a life event, and it never, uh, you know, it doesn't follow a weekly calendar. So all 20 episodes are out there. You can go listen to them. You can binge them like an episode of, or a season of whatever on Netflix. And uh, you're welcome to go out to my website, brianhanks.com. And if you put in uh, forward slash book, you can get a copy of my book uh, for yeah, just nice. the cost of printing and shipping. So happy to, 
Thanks for all your great contributions in uh, Nachos. You're real, you are a true JBNer and adding a lot of value to the group. We need more good people like you doing what you do. Right back at you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. All right, Paul. Well, another uh, another great episode. Some awesome guests. Yeah. Great, uh, great thoughts and things for for people to consider as they roll out of uh, out of COVID. You know, I, I thank all of our guests. I feel really fortunate that uh, that everybody's been you know on, come on the show and and taking the time to, to yeah. share their, their truth, thought, thoughts, and feelings. I think it's just really invaluable. And everybody out there, you know, you have to think about what you're going to do and uh, totally. start making your plans or continue to make your plans. Uh, because you know we're we're going to roll into a into a new world, and you know from talking to Gary, that may not be a bad thing, Paul. Yeah, I mean the theme of it, it's not a marathon; it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think is important. You know, uh, Gary was using his marathon running. Each mile usually is different. I think people think people run a marathon at you know twenty six seven mile seven minute miles, but they don't. Right? Different miles are different paces, and I just think Dennis have to be. Uh, the whole industry it, open to seeing how we're going to do this first mile when we get less closed and be very, uh, have, be optimistic like Jamie Amos said, but also be realistic as to what's going to happen. Like Nathan, some people are saying, and maybe I just sense it as a practice owner, what our practices are going to look like when we're less closed. Yeah. And I think, but it's going to be important too, to put the sneakers on and, yeah. and start putting one foot in front of the other and, and find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, we got a lot of great nacho tips out there from uh, everyone from the ADA to to Gary to uh, people really helping it to Chad and the money. So they got it all. Yeah, it's great. Well, it's always a pleasure, Paul. Stay safe. Thanks, Rob. Here to being in person with you sometime soon. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos, and don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.